Hey guys, what's up? It is week 146, and before we start this, I want to let you know my ear is still screwed up. Uh, I did go to urgent care, and they gave me some stuff to drain it. They say it's water. I don't know if that's right, because it's still driving me nuts, and it's been, I don't know, five, six days. I'll go back if it doesn't heal up, or maybe I'll just go deaf. Yeah, that'll help my movie watching. Uh, and also, I want to let you guys know that I uh, podcasted, I guessed it on a podcast, Cinema um, Dissections. And it's, you know, part of the Cinema Attacks kind of, you know, a podcast done by uh, Derek Bourgeois, you know. It, it's pretty, it was pretty fun. I talked way too much, and I feel like I needed to shut up. And I was like, even when I was talking, I was like, I sound like Chris Farley from the old Chris Farley show. Like, remember, remember when? And we, we covered The Wild Bunch. Carly's also on that show. She's in a couple of podcasts on the um, Horphilia Network. So it was a blast. Hopefully the podcast turned out okay, and I didn't ruin it. I feel like I did. But uh, check it out if you're interested. Um, if it comes out before this post, I'll put a link below so you can check it out. I guess we're going to hop into the first review, and I watched this on... VOD. How could I uh, not watch this? And it is Joe uh, Bagos. I've heard it pronounced Bagos and Bigos. I always say Bigos. Maybe it's Bagos. I don't know. But uh, it is his uh, fourth film, VFW. Right when I saw who was in this, I read the plot. I was like, this is definitely made for me. I'm, I'm actually a big fan of his films. Uh, pretty much I've liked everything he's done on varying degrees. Um, Mind's Eye and Bliss much more. They kept getting better and better as he went on, which is what a director should do. Bliss I love from last year, but this one is VFW. It stars, uh, you know, kind of genre or, you know, character actor favorites. Stephen Lang, George Went, David Patrick Kelly, Martin Cove, Fred Williamson, um, William Sapp. Adler, also Graham Skipper pops up in here, Dora Madsen from uh, Madison from Bliss. So I was super hyped for this one. Right when it comes on, it's got the, those crazy colors, like real hard, like blues and reds, and the synth score that just screams John Carpenter. Um, within the first five minutes of this movie, um, I had a smile on my face because w what they did with the music, it was just like, I was like, yeah, this is totally awesome. Um, these guys basically all are, you know, patrons of this VFW this rundown VFW, and it seems to be kind of somewhat in the future, um, where this crazy drug has taken over everything, and people are, you know, it's kind of definitely a statement on, you know, the um, ep uh, opioid epidemic going on, but it's it's times 10, you know, it's almost a post-apocalyptic state, and, you know, basically the drug dealers and these gangs run everything. The VFW is located right across the street from this big kind of abandoned warehouse where the drug guys kind of hang out and do drugs and go nuts and everything like that. Um, the, like I said, the uh, back and forth between the VFW guys, you know, I always say that, like I said, but I didn't even say that previously. I, like I was saying to someone else that didn't, you know, I always say that. It's just a weird transition phrase I use, and it's annoying. Sorry about that. Um, but like I said, um, the the back and forth between the actors is tremendous. They all have a great rapport. Uh, it's amazing to see Fred Williamson in this one because he's he's older. He's like 81 years old, hasn't missed a step. Man, he's got to be one of the coolest actors of all time. His smile, the way he smokes a cigar, just great. Um, but regardless, what happens is somebody steals a bunch of drugs from the gang, runs across the street in the VFW, and it starts a war between you know the vets and the junkies. So that's pretty much the setup. It's a siege movie. It, it recalls stuff. 
stuff like from Dust Till Dawn, Assault on Precinct 13, Night of the Living Dead, The Wild Bunch. So right when I, I, um, I heard on the Shockwaves podcast, they were kind of, you know, advertising this as Night of the Living Dead meets The Wild Bunch. I was like, that's really crazy that they're basically putting two of my top five favorite movies and saying it's like these two meets. And I was like, I, I kind of have to see it that, and because of the director and the cast and everything like that. I'm a sucker for character actors and these kind of actors. Um, everybody does a really great job, especially the vets. Um, you actually feel bad when people are killed. You're a little upset. They actually introduce some young blood in here too, so that that also helps in the branch over with the characters and the different vets from different wars because we have Fred Williamson from Korea, and then the other uh, five guys are from um, Vietnam, and then we have the young guy who's just been fighting in you know the Middle East and everything like that. So. You you really like that, and like I said, and it is just a simple siege movie. It's over the top and gory, like uh, all his movies: head explosions, splatter, all sorts of ridiculousness. They always call the junkies mutants in uh, the advertising, and uh, they're nuts and weird. But I wouldn't go as far as call them mutants. Maybe that's just kind of trying to push it over more into that horror category. But I, I still would put it in a horror category, you know, or horror adjacent. Not many people that like, um, you know, don't like horror movies are going to really be into this. Maybe some big action exploitation fans might dig it. I, I love the damn thing. I think it's my favorite movie I've seen uh, thus far this year. Um, I, I, you know, there's been some competition, but I think this one just blew me away. And there's a wonderful shout out to the Wild Bunch where I literally did yes. I did yes by myself. Um, and I was like, what? I'm such a dork. This is so dorky. But I was that hyped and that excited. Um, just great stuff. Very funny dialogue, too, at points. Stephen Lang, man, he, he's a great actor. And it's great. It's nice to see him finally get to star in some movies lately, you know? Um, it's just nice to see these guys still have it, you know? Because a lot of actors just get lazy or anything. But character actors usually don't. They don't because they've worked their whole lives and they've never had as much recognition as they should have deserved. So they've always been hardworking and it shows in their work and it's great. But um, if this is up your alley, it's carnage, it's crazy, um, good music, like I said. Nothing wrong with this one. Love the lighting myself. Um, love the setting. Love the beat-up old truck that Stephen Lang drives, you know. It's just how old guys are. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, my grandpa used to go in, like, the American Legion, VFW, places like that. And he always take me and my cousin. And, uh, you know, you see a lot of these guys it's just cool also to see like adult characters you know so many horror movies for a long time are teens but you know it's refreshing to see adults take action and whoop ass so yeah vfw great stuff highly recommended check it out you can rent it or i think it comes out in blu-ray and 4k at the end of march or in march so yeah i'm excited to revisit that i definitely pre-ordered it oh lord oh there you go you've been at this haven't you i have uh-huh to us. Still here. Still here. You know where you are, kid? In the uh, VFW post. How about we close the bar down early tonight? What do you got going on? The best birthday that Freddie ever got. Linda! Hey, this is girl! It's Q&A time, kid. See, the problem is that me and my old friends are probably gonna die tonight unless you help us out to understand what's happening here. You steal this? Foz killed my sister, all right? This, though, it's all he's got his whole life. V-F-W. What is that? Veterans of foreign wars. Good. Soldiers are good at dying. There's only one satisfactory solution, and that is we get our product back, and each of you die. You were a soldier. So are we all. Let's act like it. We set a perimeter. We make our stand. We'll all die very, very slowly. 
you last. Or whatever you gonna do, do it. Because you make a mistake. I'm gonna cut your heart out. You and me both know this ain't the only option. We can push Miss Teen USA right back out to the way she came in. It's for you that we're doing all of this. Hey, I never asked for your goddamn help, Gramps. The second you walked through that door, we was duty-bound to help you. Let's go. Okay, this next one is from Severn Films, and I popped this in, and I didn't really know what to expect. It is The Astrologer by Jimmy Glickenhaus, who did Exterminator and Shakedown, some some actually really cool 80s movies. So I put in The Astrologer, and I was kind of confused because there was the one that Agfa was carrying around uh, in screening called The Astrologer. That's not this one. That one was made in 75. This one, I said it's around the same time, 75, 77. But this is uh, Jimmy Glickenhaus's first film. You know, like I said, he's done a, a few. He's produced stuff for Frank Henenlotter. So I've always liked the guy. I've always enjoyed his movies. And The Astrologer, I put this in. This actually made the Video Nasty Section 3 list, which is kind of like the lesser-known list, but it's on there under a different title, like Sacrifice Ritual or something like that. Um, suicide Ritual or Suicide Cult, I think is what it's under. But uh, I put this in, and I don't want to be too negative. I understand that it's a first film. It's almost like basically a student film. And uh, it's it, it just not for me. It's super talky. It's it's kind of a Rosemary's Baby cash-in, although it's based on a book, and I just never connected with the movie. It's a lot of, you know, uh, scientific jargon and people talking about trying to find people, um, how they're going to affect the world. Basically, the Antichrist or, you know, the, the Son of God or the recoming of Jesus through their uh, zodiac signs, and they can tell this kind of stuff through their power and everything like that and all these uh, hints and everything. So, they kind of focus on this one guy um, who's in, like, a third world country camp remember exactly where uh and he he kind of is like supposedly the antichrist and whatnot and he's kind of leading a cult but nothing really happens until the hour mark um there is a, a scene of nudity and a sex scene that's um especially is appreciated in the movie i think it's actually a playmate in there so um that that's appreciated because there's not much happening until then but um when they do actually go to the cult area there is a couple scenes of violence and some kind of scary things that you know i wish were had had the movie had more of because that stuff was actually fairly well done besides that i couldn't i wanted to die i, I this was one of the most um talkative um, just slow movies that just move like molasses. And I didn't see any of Jimmy Glickenhouse's, you know, uh, charm in here. Like, I didn't see the stuff that, well, you know, because I'm used to his movies being big and action-packed and explosions. There's a scene with him driving a fast car in there because he, he loves fast cars and everything. So, like, it just didn't really work for me. There's a couple moments of interesting stuff, and uh, there's some weird shit going on, some real weird stuff. I wonder if I had read the book, if I could find a, a deeper appreciation for it. But as it stands, I just don't really particularly like the movie. I thought it was a snooze fest. I thought it was very dull and very talky, and they had a couple moments of exploitation in there that would kind of, you know, you perk up a little bit and be like, oh, we're getting a little nuts but then it just never really delivers on anything else. Also, they, it, it appears they use real death footage and that's probably what got it on the Video Nasties list in the first place, the third, the Section 3 list, because it's unpleasant as hell and just 
nasty and gross. So I think that's probably, and maybe it's not real death footage. And if it's not real death footage, it's phenomenally well done. But if it is, which is what I suspect, it's just kind of eh, tasteless. And um, if you're not really a great movie and you have some tasteless bits, it just becomes a little bit more tasteless, if that makes any sense. Like I said, if you're going to tell a really off-color or dirty joke, it better be clever or funny or it's just embarrassing. So, you know, whatever. But um, the special features are what help this one. I think the special features make the disc, um, you know, interesting. Has an interview with um, uh, Jimmy Glickenhaus, how he talks about, I think it was his father-in-law wrote the book, or somebody he knew wrote the book, so that's kind of why he wanted to do it. And uh, the book sounds more interesting than the movie. Um, and then there's also an interview with the actress in here, when she talks about her career career a little bit and talks about the movie she she seems to think it's pretty interesting and then there's also an interview with a couple guys who worked on the movie uh, a couple of the guys who worked on the spookies as well and these guys i remember being hilarious in the vinegar syndrome documentary uh twisted souls the uh, making of spookies and they are just as funny in this one i really like them i can't think of their names off the top of my head but but i really enjoy them the bald guy just has a almost like a dry sense of humor he cracks me up to, and they tell these stories in here really sad stuff at points like this old indian man had the do this take out in the rain and he ended up getting sick and ended up dying and they're like we don't know if this is true or not but um but it's just it's you know the, the stuff the the making of the movie is more interesting than the movie itself but again for those video nasty completists i believe this made the section three list and i know a lot of people collect all of them and i know all of them have not hit blu-ray or even dvd yet but we're getting close um at least for the first two sections um maybe we're still waiting on toxic zombies which has had an announcement but i'm not gonna you know go off on a trail of video nasties but if the astrologer sounds like it might interest you then check it out there'll be a trailer below get your films distributed and if you got the money back you got a chance to make another one. The astrologer certainly led into the exterminator and led into the rest of the films I did. I was sort of amazed at how much makeup they put on me for the nude scene. It was like I never had my entire body made up before. So I, I was like literally as I was for the first time touching this light I was learning what it was. <laughs> Okay, this next one is from VCI, and this is The Skeleton of Mrs. Morales. Um, I had not seen this. I see two dates on it. It says 1960 and 1968. I imagine it's probably 1960. It's fairly old. Black and white Mexican horror movie. Uh, like I said, I, I'm not too familiar with Mexican horror movies, so when they were releasing these, I was interested. We have even The Wind is Afraid from last week. We covered, um, well, I covered, and uh, like we're a team or something. But I guess we are kind of a team, right? Um, but yeah, we have um, The Skeleton of Mrs. Morales. And this is definitely a jet black dark comedy uh, thriller. Uh, we have this super likable um, geez, taxidermist and uh 
his uh, kind of crippled hypochondriac wife. Uh, she's got like bad feet. She's always complaining about things. They live in this kind of this home, and he's always working on his you know taxidermy. And he's just a super likable guy. Everyone in the town loves him. The dogs follow him around. The kids love him. He has tons of friends. He likes to have a drink here or there. But his wife is this um, you know spiteful person. And at first, you don't know what's going on. You don't know who really is the bad person. But within the first ten minutes, I was like, his wife's lying. Like the first time she's around like the religious group, or whatever, because she's a member of the church and she's always talking to the people of the church that her husband's a drunk and he's a bad guy and all these things. So throughout the movie, it ap- actively drives you nuts. Like it drives you insane. It's like, like I said, every time I want to strangle a character like this, it's like, um, who is one of the character in the Nightingale, the two bad guys in that nurse ratchet and this woman, like those are the people that I want to strangle, like just actively go in the movie and strangle them. She, she plays her cards perfectly her manipulation is dead on and she just drives this poor uh this guy into madness and, and without spoiling too much he, he's kind of like this outcast like i don't want to say he's like coffin joe kind of the coffin joe movies where like the town hates him because coffin joe is actively kind of evil and just hated humanity this guy loves humanity except you know he tries his hardest in a way this is going to sound really weird. He reminds me of my grandfather. And uh, I, and that's all I want to get to, like how he is beloved by a lot of people. He likes to have a couple drinks in here. But, you know, there there's some, you know, some things going on in his life. And, and that's what I kind of reminds me of him. And uh, maybe that's why I had a connection to him in a certain way. But he, he has the shop and he puts like skeletons in the windows that he sells to like uh, science organizations. And like the people, a lot of the religious people hate it and they find it despicable. But regardless, I, without going into it too much, there is, you know, some twists and turns and he is accused of a murder, you know, and uh, the town you know, definitely gets their pitchforks out. And it's through manipulation and trickery and everything that these kind of unfold. But the way he plays his cards is brilliant it's genius and it all comes back to a wonderful bleak hilarious dark ending that uh, just it left a big bright smile on my face i thought this movie was tremendous i thought it was wonderful i thought it was a great dark comedy and i think it's i think it's a great movie i think that everybody should check this one out if you're into like these kind of dark comedy thrillers because this is wonderful stuff um two great performances by the leads in here the husband and wife they're really good and they're really um you know rich characters and the town feels rich and the superstition feels rich and this is the kind of stuff i really like about you know hypocrisy and stuff and everything and uh just desserts it's just a a great movie and i love it and i think that people should check it out it looks really good and sounds really good because i know even the wind is afraid didn't sound pretty particularly great or look that great well it looked it sounded okay but it looked a little rough beat around the edges i think that this one was taken better care of and it shows so the skeleton of mrs morales uh highly recommended um great stuff Vaya, hasta que apareció el señor. Fui a platicar un rato con unos amigos. Y uno de ellos se llama Don Tequila, ¿no? Hasta acá llega el olor. Creo que ya soy grande para tomarme una cerveza cuando quiera. Sí. Pero no para pasarte todo el día en la cantina dejando a tu mujer abandonada y enferma. Por favor, hermanita, no le culpes. Él no sabía que yo me encontraba mal. Claro, tú lo aguantas todo y te lo callas para dejarle bien. 
Pero es una vergüenza que las vecinas tengan que llamarme, porque se dan cuenta de la vida que llevas. Ay, Dios mío, ¿por qué se meterán? Sí, ¿verdad? ¿Por qué será? Porque quieren a mi hermana. Y siempre la ven enferma, llorando y, y sufriendo malos tratos. Porque eres un malvado sin conciencia. Por favor, no lo insultes. ¿Qué culpa tiene él? No lo defiendas encima. ¿Ves cómo te quiere? Pobrecita. Sí. Me da mucha pena. Reconozco que la vida que le doy es horrible y no hay derecho a que una persona sufra tanto. Y como yo no puedo cambiar, porque no me doy cuenta del mal que te hago, la única solución que veo es que, que nos separemos. Okay, let's hop into these Patreon picks, and the first one is Accident Man. Yeah, uh, Jason Willard picked this one. This stars Scott Atkins, so he gave me another Scott Atkins movie after Avengement, which I adored. So I put in Accident Man, and uh, you know, I, I do like Scott Atkins now. I mean, like, just watching him, he has a good charisma. This one, I guess it feels kind of like a John Wick kind of storyline, where we have this group of assassins, and they're hired to, you know, take out certain jobs here and there. Scott Atkins is pretty much the most badass assassin of the group of assassins. We're introduced to all of them. We have Michael Jaws. White, um, he and he's partnered up with Ray Park, who played Toad and Darth Maul. These two are kind of like, uh, like these. I guess they're Americans. Um, one of them's American, Michael J. White, and they're just like the two two of the best assassins. Then we have this female assassin who you know kind of brings them in, kind of like Black Widow, not Black Widow, but you know sleeps with them, seduces them, and then eh. we have a poison guy. We have a guy who's the tester, tests everything out, and then we have a big kind of crazy man. But the leader of this group is uh, Ray Stevenson, who played Punisher in Punisher Warzone, which I think is an underrated, fun Punisher movie. But uh, he's really good in this, and, and uh, basically what you learn is a lot lot of the uh, setups here, how this organization works, but of course there's a twist where they, uh, somebody, uh, you know, um, Scott Atkins' ex-girlfriend ends up dead, she was pregnant, so he starts to look into it being a smart man that he is, realizes at one point he's been set up at, at something and almost killed, so he puts two to two together and realizes someone is setting him up and he's going to figure out who killed his ex-girlfriend and figure out who set him up and what's going on, and he's going to get his revenge. Uh, David Paymer uh, um, is also in this, you'll recognize him from City Slickers and Night of the Creeps, he, he plays a Weasley asshole who takes all the calls and everything like that. So essentially, really the plot of this movie is a little bit of mystery but mostly it's Scott Atkins running through and beating up assassins. There's really fun fight scenes, there's great back and forth between the assassins and they have a good you know, you know, uh, rapport so like I said, like these guys know each other and they'll be talking to each other and then they'll be fighting um, the Michael Jaw White and Ray Park fight scenes are great, they mix in like all sorts of martial arts and MMA and, and stuff like that but 
there's a narration too by Scott Atkins kind of telling the audience what's going on here and there. But um, and, and there's blood, and it, it's, it doesn't look like CGI. I don't remember seeing any CGI, so it's pretty bloody and squibs and blood flying out. Um, I really enjoyed this one. I thought it was vastly entertaining, a good action movie. And you know I'm pretty hard on modern action movies. I don't love that many, but I've been digging the Scott Atkins stuff, and there's other things that I love. Uh, what's the one, The Night it, the night Comes for Us? That one is tremendous as well. So there is some really good stuff that I just have missed out on. And like I said, I, I don't know how to go in depth about this because I really don't have any major complaints about the movie. Um, like I said, it is similar to something like, uh, I feel like John Wick. I don't know if this was made around the time of the first one. I think it was probably made in, what, 2018 or something. So it's probably made or inspired by those kind of assassin movies with those kind of like codes and everything like that. But I don't really have a problem with that. I saw the first John Wick and was fine with it. Um, but like I said, this is this is fun stuff, a uh, revenge story. And, you know, like I said, you, you know all the characters, you meet all the characters, and then you obviously are going to set up fights with all of them, and they all have different styles. But also, you know, I guess it's an anti-authoritarian movie. And you even get to see some backstory in his life and how he became the man he is, and that's also fun too. Would recommend checking it out. Some nice callbacks. He's kind of a witty kind of guy. He says some funny lines and brings them back. So good stuff. Uh, I think he's a good actor, and he's perfect for these kind of movies. So you're watching a trailer, right? You want to know what the movie's about? Well, allow me to explain. The name's Fallon. And I'm an assassin. Yeah, yeah, I know. You've already seen all the assassin movies and all their sequels, right? You seem pretty unscathed. Well, I don't bruise easy. See, everyone's got a gimmick. Carnage Cliff, he's a butcher. Specialises in severed heads and chopped off limbs. Mick and Mac, ex-special forces. Turbocharged soldiers of fortune. Jane the Ripper, she's the honey trap killing machine. And Poison Pete, well, you can work that one out for yourself, can't you? And as for me, well, I make them look like accidents. Everyday, ordinary accidents. But now I've got a problem. You see, the love of my life just turned up in a box six feet under, and I'm certain that it was one of my crew that put her there. She was pregnant. But which one of these wankers did it? I'm going to find out. And when I do... There'll be a few more fatal accidents around the corner. You've got to set balls on you, don't you? What is going on? The order that hit Lenny. I can't tell you that. It's payback time, fellas. How the bloody hell do I make this look like an accident? Okay, the next one is another Patreon pick by Chris Rivers, and this is Gaslight. Uh, 1966, I think? Um, I guess it would be considered a film noir. I always have trouble if it's not like a major like uh, gumshoe or something in it. I have trouble calling it a film noir. But uh, So it's not it's not my strongest genre, but I, I do enjoy watching them and watching these old kind of movies. This stars Ingrid Bergman from The Bells of St. Mary. That's the one I know her from most of all. And uh, Angela Lansbury. And, geez, what's that? Joseph Cotton, who I think I only know from bad horror movies later on in his career or uh, uh, later movies definitely not from his like a big this is not a strong point for me maybe it might even be 46 it's 46 sorry um yeah so uh watching this like uh 
I had never seen a George Cukor movie, so I know he's a big director. I've heard the name numerous times. So uh, putting this in, it, it takes me out of my element. You know, like I, I'm not the guy to ask about these movies, but I, I definitely want to go on this journey with everybody and watch all sorts of different movies. So I appreciate Chris Rivers picking stuff like this. It's like broadening my horizons, making me more intelligent person because God knows I need it. Okay, um, this one, Gaslight. Um, you know the title and what that kind of deal, what that sort of thing is. Um, we have uh, Ingrid Bergman. She... Uh, Basically, she's been she's like kind of uh, living abroad, uh, not not at home anymore, because uh, she has, she has a really kind of tragic past, and you learn that kind of right off the bat. Her aunt used to uh, she lived with her aunt before that. Her mother had passed away; her parents were no longer there, and her aunt was like this great um, musician, piano player, I believe she was. And uh, she died uh, in, a, in a very tragic murder. After that, she left her home and she's out and about. She meets uh, an overseas. She's learning to, you know, study music over there. She can't really grasp it as well. She meets and falls in love with somebody. This guy convinces her to go back to her old home where her aunt used to live. And they start to live together. And right away, you know, something's up. And it's also kind of funny because this guy's a creep. Right off the bat, he's super creepy, super weirdo. And she's just wonderful. She's like a sweet, nice person. And right off the bat, you see him to start to manipulate her. And the title, you know, Gaslight, suggests that. Um, Joseph Cotton um, actually is involved with it, and he has, like, an interest in the case. I don't want to spoil his involvement directly. So he starts to watch from, uh, you know, afar, and so does a neighborhood lady. She's also really kind of a nosy neighbor. Kind of reminds me of George Wenton House, where he she's nosy, but also likable and means, means well, not just trying to be snooty and mean. So those two kind of start to look into it. Um, Angela Lansbury plays kind of a really kind of nasty uh, maid that works there. So so essentially what it is, you learn that um, you know these characters have ulterior motives and poor uh, Bergman is starting to be manipulated and believe that she's actually crazy. So it's like a it's a fairly long movie, almost two hours I think, and it is a, and you know what's going on right away after watching so many movies that took place after this. And I think this was a remake from another movie from 1940, so or 44. You know, there's a couple ones called Gaslight from that time, so I don't know if they're remakes or different movies entirely. But um, uh, you know, this is enjoyable as hell, and what 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 it does for me, it, it feels a little drawn out for an old '40s movie to be this long because I knew exactly where it was going. But you know, it's not necessarily the story; it's the journey or the, the end or what where it's going. You know, it's how it's unfolded, and, th and they do that well. And there is some you know bits and pieces that are hinted at, and they all come together at the very end. But you know what's going on fairly. You know, right in about the middle of the movie, you know exactly what's going to happen and where it's going to go. You just don't know how or who's going to be affected by it. Um, I love uh, Bergman in it. She's she's such a different performance from the Bells of St. Mary. And, you know, I'm not too familiar with her. But when I look at her in something like that and then look at her in something like this and watch her kind of slip, lose her grip on reality, I can see that these kind of performances really kind of uh, played into a lot of the Hammer movies. Like how she acts and everything like that. Like stuff like Scream of Fear. Like these movies of people walking around a house and just kind of losing their damn mind it's definitely that um she's really great in it and uh the little manipulation things are cool as well hated the bad guy wanted to punch him in his face so hard so i guess he did his job really well it is hard to believe that some that she would go with him you know i because she's like perfect you know she's like an angel and then he's just a scummy person but it is what it is. Um, it's enjoyable. It's, it's shot really well, too. I mean, it's a great-looking black-and-white movie. It's not really my strong point here, these kind of movies, but I did enjoy it, and I did like it. And I would definitely check out more from this director, obviously, and ex ex uh, more with Pitt, uh, Bergman. You know, I, From what I've seen, I, she's great. So.
written two days before she was murdered. Where did you find that? In this score, she must have left it here. It's written by somebody called Sergius Bauer. Give it to me. He said I wasn't any liquor. He said I was going out of my mind. You're not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. But why? Why? <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. And you thought I was being cruel to you. <laughs> Keeping no, people away not from cruel. you. Making you a prisoner. Oh, you're the kindest man in the world. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If I were not mad, I could have helped you. Whatever you had done, I could have pitied and protected you. Because I am mad, I hate you. Because I'm mad, I've betrayed you. And because I am mad, I'm rejoicing in my heart without a shred of pity, without a shred of regret, watching you go with glory in my heart. Okay, the next one here is a Patreon pick from Dan the Cameraman, and this is Ed Wood uh, by Tim Burton, starring Johnny Depp, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, Patricia Arquette, um, Jeffrey Jones, of course, Martin Landau, Bill Murray, Mike Starr. Am I missing anyone in here? I feel like I am George the Animal Steel. Uh, yeah, that, that might be everybody off the top of my head. Okay, uh... This is going to be super weird for me to say. Um, I've said it before. I've never saw Ed Wood. I've seen a lot of Tim Burton movies growing up. You know, of course, I watched Beetlejuice and Batman and Mars Attacks. I've seen so many of these movies a million freaking times, and I never watched Ed Wood. I've always heard great things. Half the people I like, it's their favorite movie. So I was like, okay, it's just one of these things that I was super late to it. Um, uh, super late to the movie and I felt really weird about the subject matter because I hadn't seen it in so long. So although this review should be in depth and it should be 30 minutes long because the movie deserves that and it deserves that kind of appreciation, I'm not going to be the guy to do that because this is the first time I watched it. So it's going to be first impressions. Uh, okay. It's a story of Ed Wood, who is pretty much an infamous Sherlock ma uh, master director um, who made supposedly he was supposedly he made the worst movie ever made plan nine from outer space. Supposedly he was the worst director of all time. And this is a movie about an outcast that is a little bit, you know, unaware of his circumstances and unaware of his, uh, you know, lack of talent but he it, it's his lack of you know it doesn't let him stop from making movies you know not even that's not even the talent it's the money and just that nobody cares but he doesn't care it, it's about you know a renegade filmmaker a ragtag group of people going out and making a movie no matter what no matter what everyone said and kind of like enjoying themselves in, in the process and just you know fi finding a film family and doing it for the love of film uh no matter what anybody else says and no matter how you know to make this movie no matter what you get a lie cheat steal you, you get the movie done so this appeals to film fans this appeals to you know outcast or people that feel like they've been underappreciated and i understand that it's definitely that kind of movie i'm not the world's biggest johnny depp fan i do think johnny depp is cast perfectly to play a weirdo but I think that he, uh, and that's a good thing. There's not, everybody can't do that. But I think when it comes to playing regular Joes, I've always had a problem believing him. Um, 
this time, thankfully, he's cast as a weirdo, and, and he's perfect. Um, Ed Wood was a really interesting person in real life. He liked to cross-dress, but he wasn't homosexual, and he, you know, he fought in World War II. So um, there's just lots of weird things going on with Ed Wood. He, he died a tragic death, if anybody knows the story of him. I haven't seen as many films as I'd like to. I saw more of the later kind of sexploitation ones, the one that Agfa put out I've seen. So, like... Uh, this, like I said, I'm not really the guy to talk about this movie because I don't know. I have this first time watching it, and I'm not an Ed Wood expert or anything like that. But it's shot in black and white. It, it looks great. The music's different, too. It's a Danny Elfman. I believe it's got to be Danny Elfman, right? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't sound like typical Elfman. It sounds like it, but it has a little bit of uniqueness to it, and the, the score gets stuck in your head. It's a great score. I really enjoy that. Um, the plot is basically Ed Wood um, wants to become a filmmaker. He, he loves you know people like Orson Welles and stuff like that um he, he admires this that's all he wants to ever do is become a filmmaker and film director he works at, at you know a, a small job in a hollywood studio i think it's just basically being an errand boy or whatnot and uh one day he bumps into bela lugosi played by martin landau which is probably one of people's favorite performances of all time for good reason um it, it's a great performance it's a great portrayal of bela lugosi i don't know how accurate it is but you know he's a drug addict he's sad he's kind of washed up but ed wood starts to hang out with him and realizes that he can make a movie with uh, Bela Lugosi get get uh, you know the funding from it. He gets funding from this shellac, this exploitation guy played by Mike Starr. Uh, small role, but great role. Uh, just the way he delivers his lines, I love. He's like, "What makes you think you can direct this movie?" He's like, "I never told anyone this, but I like to dress in women's clothes." You're a fruit. And he's like, just like stuff like that. He's like, "No," but. Um, I actually thought that the, his his interactions with Johnny Depp's character Ed Wood were great, very funny. Um, you know, he just plays a, that sleazy exploitation producer perfectly. But we basically go on his his you know him making three movies. We see him make Glenn and Glenda, which explores his you know um, his transvestite kind of activities throughout the movie. In the movie, we see him make um, Bride of the Monster, and finally his supposed masterpiece or crafter piece or whatever you want to say, Plan Nine from Outer Space. Um, and throughout, he kind of gets together his group of friends throughout the movie. Um, all unique, weirdo kind of characters, including uh, Bill Murray, who plays uh, Bunny Breckenridge. And he's always talking about getting a sex change. And there's this great moment where he's in a public area talking about He's like, and they're going to cut off my penis. And he says it really loud. And Sarah Jessica Parker's always kind of embarrassed by Johnny De by Ed Wood and all his friends. And she's his first wife. And he's like, can you keep it down? And like, you see the guy next to him just like... Like, just watching a wrestling event. Um, uh, they got, geez, oh, who is it? Thor Johnson uh, is played by George the Animal Steel, who's perfect. George the Animal Steel used to bite the turnbuckle wrestler kind of deal. He's perfectly cast. Like I said, there's lots of great casting choices and lots of great actors in the movie. Uh, it's just actually really heartfelt and it's touching. And I don't, I know maybe it's kind of like, um, uh, you know, a rose-tinted glasses look at Ed Wood's life. They're not talking about, you know, him dying of a heart attack at 54 from alcoholism and all that kind of stuff. It, it only leads to a, it's a slice of life movie. It only starts here and ends there. And uh, it, it's just, it's magical. It's really kind of a magical movie, to be honest. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like it. It's by the writers who did My Name is Dolomite, which makes a lot of sense because it's about, you know, people getting together and making movies. So I'd really like to rewatch this movie again. I think if I rewatch it, I'd like it more. Like, I wish I I would have saw this 10 20 years ago because i think that i would adore this movie like it would be like up there with beetlejuice for me which i watch and just love this movie i think is something that um 
I understand why people love it. And I understand why this could be somebody's favorite movie. And I understand that I need to rewatch it. But I, I'm very happy with my first experience with the movie. Um, thanks for picking it. Uh, and like I said, when people pick this kind of stuff, I'm always happy to do it. I'm just a little embarrassed. Like when people pick Gaslight or Ed Wood and I haven't seen them, I'm like, I really feel uncomfortable talking about these. But it's good to be put out of your comfort zone. You know, I, I mean, I love film. Uh, I just feel like I'm not giving people, um, you know, what what's worth you know what 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 their time is is worth me talking about these but i hope people just like hearing people talk about how much they love movies so um yeah that's ed wood tim burton director of batman beetlejuice and edward scissorhands now takes you to a completely different world the true story of a hollywood legend ed wood and action he made movies like no one else want to keep moving got to get through that door. Ah, that was perfect. Perfect? Do you know anything about film production? Well, I'd like to think so. He had an eye for talent. I met Bela Lugosi. Well, I thought he was dead. This is the most uncomfortable coffin I've ever been in. No, he's very much alive. <laughs> you flying saucer? He had a passion for storytelling. Get me transvestites. I need transvestites. You're flashy. They want that. Okay. But they want professionalism. So Nick Nelly without losing naivete. What kind of a movie is this? It's science fiction. A heartbreaking romance. Brave robbers from outer space. Brave robbers from what? And he had a secret he couldn't hide. I like to dress in women's clothing. Panties, sweaters, pumps. It's just something I do. You don't like sex with girls? No, I love sex with girls. Wearing their clothes makes me feel closer to them. How can you act so casual when you're dressed like that? All right, everybody, let's finish this picture. Touchstone Pictures presents Johnny Depp. Martin Landau, Sarah Jessica Parker, Patricia Arquette, and Bill Murray in the true story of an unforgettable filmmaker. We're making another movie. I got the Church of Beverly Hills to put up the cash. How do you get all your friends to get baptized just so you can make a monster movie? And his legacy that will live forever. How do you burn this off? Shake his legs around. Looks like he's killing it. This is the one. This is the one I'll be remembered for. Ed Wood, a Tim Burton film. Really? Worst film you ever saw. Well, my next one will be better. Hello? Okay, the next one here is a Patreon pick from Dustin Mills, and he picked The Good, The Bad, and The Weird. And this is one that I've wanted to watch a while. I've had it on my shelf. I actually watched it on Hulu and HD, and I think I'll be buying the Blu-ray when I get a chance. Um, the title's obviously a take on the good, the bad, and ugly. And that's kind of essentially what this is, but I believe it's a Korean movie, and it has Korean, Japanese, and Chinese characters in it. Um, it I, I don't know how actual this is when in history. I don't think so. I think it's more of a fictional kind of adventure, fantasy kind of deal. But the plot follows that everybody wants this treasure map because this map leads to this buried gold. So everybody's after it. That's the opening of the movie. We have this kind of, I believe he's Korean, um, this crazy kind of Korean, like comical character with a hat, breaking in this train, shooting a bunch of people, trying to steal this treasure map. But then at the same time, these bandits come along. And then this kind of heroic character who's after one of the bandits comes along as well. So we have these three groups, of course, like um, we have the good, the bad, and ugly. We, you know, and that we have 
have, uh, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. This, we have the good, the bad, and the weird. So we have all these three people after the same kind of goal. And at a certain, it's essentially kind of a remake of the good, the bad, and the ugly, but just completely bonkers. It's a long movie. It's epic. It's like two and a half hours. But the whole thing is action-packed, nonstop uh, gags. It's, it's wonderful action. Um, the gang of bad guys is great. They all stand out like they would in a Sergio Leone movie. They all have very recognizable, you know, faces. And there's good stuff like where one guy has an eye patch and he gets shot in the eye early in the movie then later he has an eye patch and stuff like that and then they take the time to shoot him in the other eye to kill him off but there's just lots of cool bad guys lots of cool characters lots of funny moments where I actively laughed out loud and I love that the weird guy in the movie is kind of the main guy the main focus but he's also the comic relief which really typically doesn't happen in American movies where um, we have something that's so high stakes and action and has violence and craziness but also the main character is just like a goofball or the goofiest character in the movie and I would say the same thing about the good the bad and ugly the movie follows you know El Tuco um, um, uh, Eli Wallach and he is the most comical but he also has his dramatic bits and the character that you would least likely follow in the movie is, is what they do in this one as well but it ends in a in a great way uh and it just makes a statement about it you know what they were doing and what they were hunting for <laughs> just thinking about the ending makes me laugh that what they did all this for and how it unfolds but uh it all goes into a giant battle at the end essentially the battle of five armies and i i wish that you know the Hobbit 3 was a quarter as good as this movie, and then maybe, you know, <laughs> I could watch that again. But just saying that, uh, this is a wonderful movie with tons of great action and cool stuff, and I just love the hell out of it. Lots of good characters, lots of great camera work, too. Like, they do crazy stuff with the camera. Uh, I think this thing is amazing to be honest um a blast super great adventure movie uh can't wait to rewatch this i should check out the director's other work it's in multiple languages it, it's just an epic it's an epic movie it's expensive looking it has lots of action never slows down um and it's easy to follow it's just really cool you know great stuff the good the bad and the weird
저자가 과연 누가 죽었지 누가 전설을 만드는지 All right, we're going to hop into, or we're going to dive into 1985. That's more like it. Okay, and the first one is Confessions of a Serial Killer. Um, Yeah, remember that cover? This is a VHS. It's a New Horizons. That's right. This VHS wasn't released until 1992, um, and it was made in 85. It's kind of similar to Henry, where that movie is made in like 85, and then kind of semi-released in 86, and not really released till tape till 1990. Something about the subject matter of Henry Lee Lucas really did not, people did not like, so. So, uh, just like it, Confessions of a Serial Killer was shelved until 1992. Uh, this one, though, was made in 85. Um, it feels like a TV movie. At one point, I think it was maybe a TV movie. It stars Robert Burns. Um, I had seen this movie years ago, and it always stuck in my head. I remembered a lot of it. So, that says one. It's a very powerful movie. It says a lot about it. Uh, it stars Robert Burns as um, Daniel Lee Hawkins, who is basically Henry Lee Lucas in this. And, it, and this one feels, falls close, more closely to the case even though we know that that case is full of shit um, because of, you know, that documentary about Henry Lee Lucas, we know, you know, that a lot of that was bullshit. Uh, but this movie falls closer to the case. And Robert uh, Burns, uh, he's the production designer on Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He did the production design on this one. So at times you'll notice some similarities, like maybe a meat hook hanging from a ceiling at one point. But it feels like Texas, man. It feels like it. And, and I know Henry was, uh, you know, he was a drifter. And while we have Henry taking place a lot in Chicago, where uh, John McNaughton was from. This one takes place in, uh, in Texas and Louisiana and stuff like that. And I feel like it's more f- accurate to the Henry Lee Lucas story. And I, I do think that the character might be a little bit closer to Henry Lee Lucas. Although Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer, is one of my all-time favorite movies ever made. This one, I feel, is more close to the real story. Even though the story was bullshit. But, uh, yeah. Okay, so basically what happens is this one opens up with a really nasty murder, really sets the tension, really creepy. Um, People say it's no frills, and I would agree with that, but the way they choose the camera work and stuff like that is just creepy. It's dark, it's unsettling. Uh, He picks up a hitchhiker, and there's really silent moments. He says he's going to take her to the gas station, and you know who he is right away. You know he's a killer. So you're always terrified for these victims. Like you're waiting for that the moment. Are they going to get killed or attacked or get away? And uh, when it does happen, there's a lot of suspense. And it works really well. But uh, it basically is, uh, you know, Daniel Lee Hawkins confessing to his crimes. He's caught and he starts to tell his case. And the way he delivers it matter-of-factly is great. And there's these these great moments where he tell re- recollects all these stories. And instead of having Otis, uh, Tooley, or Otis Tool, we have this character called Moon Luton. And uh, that's basically uh, Otis. And I think he's really sleazy and gross. But uh, we also have Becky. So, like, all the characters are in here. Um, and and it, it unfolds but more of a dirty way, less um, a sympath- less of a sympathetic way, uh, maybe less personal, but more accurate, if that makes any sense. Like I said, though, it, it just feels really like rule, too. It feels like America. It does feel like it. But uh, his delivery is so matter-of-fact, and the way he talks, I feel like could very well be Henry, even though I think Henry is more of a dullard than both than uh, this character. And that, I mean, this guy's not obviously highly intelligent, but there's just these great moments and great beats in this. This is a totally underrated movie. Rewatching it, I was like, man, this is really fucking good. Um, and, and I must say, make sure you don't watch the UK version. Just throw that version out. 
The VHS version here is the um, cut version where they have like a horrible rape scene. It's one of the nastiest rape scenes I've ever seen. Um, just the, the little details about it is just gross. And like, uh, I think you get into their psychology really well with that kind of deal. But, uh, and, and there's also an early kill with a prostitute. And the way that's filmed, that's also more graphic in the VHS version. The way that's filmed is point of view at points. But at one point, the camera seems to drop to the ground and we see like them running from, uh, from below the camera's view on the ground. I think that's effective. I don't know why. Like parts of this movie, feels almost like an unsolved mysteries like a recreation and i don't know why that works but it really does um it's just creepy and it feels real it feels real at times uh there's like these good moments of henry where he is sitting like at, at, at like where they're taking him around to find like bodies and everything and, and which actually happened so like this was like based on a lot of reality and he's sitting there and he's eating his lunch, and this, he's joking around, drinking the shake while these cops with him. And this girl's like, "Hurry up now!" And he's like, "If all these cops weren't here, you'd be mine." And it's just like, because you see that moment where, oh, he is a little goofy, could be funny, and then he says that, and you're like, "This guy's a psycho. This is this is a dangerous person." But um, I I think it's well acted, a matter of fact, kind of dirty movie, um, and uh, makes you really kind of scared. It's, it's kind of scary and gross all in, in a lot of ways. Just really good and effective, and the music's memorable too. Um, Henry's score, I remember the rest of my life because of it, but this one has has a score too, like a doom, doom. Not necessarily like Henry, but it has that kind of boom, boom. And I, I'd like to know when their production started. I'd like to know when the initial release dates were or when these were screened to the public, if there was any reshoots after Henry came out or what. Because I'd like to know the history deep in these movies and everything like that. Because I can't see John Noddington or this director you know, stealing from each other. But it's so weird how similar they are, but how different they are at the same time. Because I feel like John Noddington went further away from the actual case files. And I think that this director kind of dived into those. And there's always those stories you hear about people seeing Henry out and about, you know, uh, eating at a fast food restaurant, taking these cops out to the location. So seeing that and stuff, it's just like, I feel like this is a, a gnarly piece of Americana, if that makes any sense. But that's Confessions of a Serial Killer. Make sure you watch the uncut version and, and you'll know right with the prostitute death because there's a lot more graphic thing there. If you watch it and um, you don't see uh, nipples for more than half a second, then it's the uh, cut version. So I know it sounds sleazy. And I know people are like, who cares? But I mean, it is more effective and disturbing with the uncut footage. So that is Confessions of a Serial Killer. Uh, I would recommend checking this out. It's really good, especially if you like true crime movies. I think it's a, a must. Do you remember the first person you ever killed? I don't know. Never asked her name. Nothing's wrong. You'd like to do her now, wouldn't you? Which one? I know the guy's crazy. What I want to know is, can we believe this nut? He said he's killed over 200 people. Just when you do all that? Just all the time. In the eyes of a stranger, in the hands of a drifter, there is no mercy.
like killing for me is just like breathing for everybody else. Just can't live without doing it all the time. Okay, uh, the next one into the dive in 1985 is The Loft. I'll be pretty quick with this one. This is a German movie. I had not seen it. It's by the director of Der Fan, and this takes place in a weird post-apocalyptic world, and this is a crazy movie. Okay, we have a group of kind of rich kids that go to this art gallery. Like I said, this is a basically post-apocalyptic war going on, and there's definitely a classism war at the same time. They go to this art gallery. Uh, the guy is an asshole. He's just a piece of shit, like kind of spoiled brat, um, and the girl wants to look at the art he doesn't he wants to you know kind of fool around and just whatever laugh at the art and everything and the art crowd is kind of maybe more of the poor side punk side crazy side so they end up sneaking into a room to kind of screw there's an injured guy who uh, has been, you know, he, he's kind of, he's been shot, maybe war torn um, and they basically screw and then they try to leave and there's this, these two that refuse to let them leave. Um, and everybody else is gone. They lock them in this loft. And we have some psychological kind of uh, horror going on where they start to mess with them. And, uh, you know, think a house on the edge of the park. And the, the duo is pretty crazy. They're kind of scary, especially the male of this. He has these wide eyes and he just looks nuts. He just lo has a great look for a crazy person. I really think he has, has the best performance in the film. But essentially what we have here is, you know, this kind of psychological torture where they, they yell at them and deface them, put them away, rape the girl. That kind of thing is going on here. But it's it's not just about being cruel. It, there's something else going on. You start to understand their motives, that they're kind of at war with, you know, the rich people, whatever they think, basically. You know, there's a couple scenes where they both pour their hearts out. Both the girls are yelling at each other and everything like that. And, uh, you know, there's a little bit more going on to it and maybe a statement on classism. But at the same time, uh, it, hard to get your point across when you're being a horrible maniac, right? But then again, I don't know how bad I feel for a lot of the people. I do feel bad for the girl in here, but the guy is kind of a douchebag. So at the same time time yeah but um the whole movie has like super crazy fog throughout it it's very soft lit or soft soft looking movie because the the atmosphere is full of fog and there's these paintings on the walls and uh weird lighting and everything like that uh there's a couple other guys that show up and that's kind of when the action kicks in and some more violent things happen and there's a struggle and without spoiling too much and you know a couple you know moments set up that are kind of tragic in, in a certain way I do think it's a pretty decent movie. I think it's good. Um, I think it's interesting. It's kind of hard to find. So uh, there's a German DVD. I don't know if that's English friendly or not. I had to find it online. If it's ever released widely in a, the States or anywhere else with it English friendly, I will definitely buy it. I don't know if the old DVD is English friendly at all, but it's out of print, long out of print. Um, but, you know, I think this one's worth checking out if you can find it. I think it's interesting. I think that the idea that it's a post-apocalyptic world adds a little bit something to it. At the same time, makes it a little bit different because it, it makes sense why some group of kids would kind of be this violent or this crazy um but you know there's also some like i said there's a, a weird kind of crazy art tinge to the bad guys where they have like some weird philosophical uh, stuff to them uh but I, I would check this one out like i said that it, like it does pick up later on and it's worth it's definitely worth a look if you're into these kind of movies interesting interesting movie called the loft <laughs> Oh, 
Welt ohne Hoffnung. Der Rauch der Zerstörung zieht in die Häuser und wird zum allgegenwärtigen Zeichen des kommenden Endes. Continue in the dive in 1985. What is more interesting than a German art post-apocalyptic uh, kind of revenge rape movie? Um, that's right. 1985's Evils of the Night. Vinegar Syndrome put this bad boy out. And uh, what can I say about Evils of the Night? Uh, starring Aldo Ray, Neville Brand. Um, geez, Ginger Allen is in this? I think there's a porn star in this. And of course, John Carradine. Uh, geez, there's a couple. Julie Newmar is in here. Yeah, this is by the same director of Evil Town, same sets, same plot. I really thought there was going to be some of the same footage used because I did watch Evil uh, Town as well, which Vinegar Syndrome Archive put out. So, Evils of the Night. Okay, this plot is ridiculous. A space alien ship crashes and... Uh, Right away, we're like, okay, what's going on here? We cut to these teens. They're partying, and uh, they're at this beach all the time, basically having sex, uh, explicit sex, nudity, full frontal. So I was like, okay, uh, this is what we're doing. We're basically making a softcore movie here. Lots of nudity, lots of ridiculousness, lots of teen sex and stuff. I'm like, I'm in. Why not? It's goofy. It's funny. It's making me laugh. And uh, right away, we have a uh, you know these kind of mask guys kidnapping these naked girls, um, and they're these idiot mechanics, similar to Evil Town, and they start kidnapping all these teens and taking them back to this hospital. And you learn that John Carradine and Julie Newmar are aliens, and they're uh, there to collect you know human specimens from 16 to 24 or something like that because they need their their bodies and their blood platelets to live forever or some bullshit like that. That's basically the plot of the movie. So essentially, we just have kids getting kidnapped by these uh, drunken mechanics, taken back, and uh, you know John Carradine standing over naked bodies and whatnot and arguing about their platelets is it good not really is it entertaining yeah i mean i'm gonna say so because watching aldo ray and neville brand uh, you know they're drunk they have to be right or if they're not drunk they're crazy 
because I know Aldo Ray last week was in Biohazard and they were talking about his alcohol problems. This is probably made years before him, not released till later. But Aldo Ray is just crazy. <laughs> He's crazy. And Neville Brand, I actually think, is crazy after watching stuff like Eating Alive. But it's so weird to see like these genre actors. Like, you know, they were just stars back in the day. Neville Brand was in freaking John Wayne movies. These guys were in big movies. And then in the mid 80s, they're in, you know, stuff like um, Evils of the Night. Uh, same thing with John Carradine. So, like, I don't know. Uh, it is entertaining watching these guys because they have screen presence no matter, you know, how good their performances are. Even though I think they're fine. Their bickering back and forth makes me laugh. And seeing these two guys chase around naked girls and stuff. You can tell when they put masks on the, the them, they're not them. They're like stunt doubles or whatnot. Like, they reshot that stuff later on. But uh, the Aldo Ray's end to the, in this movie, I know it's a spoiler, but it's not really. Come on. Uh, Aldo Ray's end in this movie... <laughs> <laughs> it's nonsense like i wonder if they're actually he just like like had like a stroke and then they just added the post effects but regardless i, I was entertained by it i'm not gonna lie it, it's not good it's just entertaining, but that kind of makes it good, right? It, it just does what it delivers. It delivers on lots of nudity, lots of sex, lots of stupid dialogue, and lots of ridiculous plot moments. Not really any good gore, but there's this one moment where this girl wants her boyfriend to have sex with her on the beach. She's like, come on, and he's like, no, honey, later. We'll go to that abandoned house we saw on the highway, and I'm just like, what? <laughs> it's just like, come on, are you even trying? But uh, entertaining, shellac at its finest. There's an interview with the director on here. He talks about making this an evil town and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, if it interests you, uh, vinegar syndrome, clean this up. It looks great. It looks, it sounds great. So that's evils of the night. Fun, fun, fun stuff. Come on. (laughs) My boob. What's the matter with this pair buster? Oh no. What was that? I don't know. your bones eventually go fragile and break. You'd be dead within a hundred years. But with... (laughs) 
Okay, the next one is in the dive in 1985 is Shocking Heavy Metal, a.k.a. Blood Tracks. Yeah, this is a CMV Vision uh, disc, and I kind of have a, a quarrel with those. Like a lot of those back in the day, you're paying $40, $30, and it's just like barely a VHS rip. It's just like a waste of my money here. Uh, but uh, yeah, Blood Tracks, here we go. Uh, this is a Swedish horror movie. I'd seen this one before too, revisiting it. It's a Swedish heavy metal band or hair metal band that's going to go to this abandoned kind of big like ice mountain or whatever, this big mountain full of ice and snow that's isolated and shoot part of a rock video. So we have five of the hair metal band, a bunch of backup dancers, and the film crew. Um, that go up there. But what they don't know is there's this Hills Have Eyes kind of clan of five kids and a mother living in this abandoned building nearby. And, uh, you know, they're kind of childlike. Some of them, some of them are violent. And, of course, they don't like people entering their kind of, you know, their area. Similar to Hills Have Eyes or Text Chainsaw, you know, how they enter their house and boom, you're done. So, uh, essentially what we have here is some really cheesy hair metal dancing in the beginning. They strike up an avalanche to the loud noises and everything like that. And they become isolated at this cabin. Um, Meanwhile, some of them are going back to this factory like, we got to get B-roll footage, and uh, the clan attacks them and kills them. At first, I think one of the guys actually fights back, so that kind of like stems this war between them. One of the clan guys is kind of more human or intelligent than the rest, so he tries to stop this, but of course there's going to be a bloodbath. So, of course, the cannibals start to attack the kids. There's moments of them having sex with you know the girls and everybody sleeping around with each other, some TNA. But what I really enjoy about this one, and this is supposed to be my like kind of perverted nature, is uh, the similar to Friday the 13th Part 4, where Jason just manhandles that guy's face and mashes the gifts in the shower i'm like oh i love that i love that kind of like turn on it so like you know instead of women being that kind of like running around screaming uh getting killed it's when guys it happens to guys and this one the killers um the, the crazy like uh inbred uh, deformed people with frostbite over their face when they attack the house there's a band member who goes to the bathroom and like the way they shoot that it's like he's a female almost like the guy comes out and he bites out his neck and i'm just like that is gnarly some of the death scenes, you know, they're not great, but some are gnarly like that. Like a cannibal guy just biting someone's neck out. I was just like kind of impressed with that kill, actually. Um, it's cheesy. It's dubbed. It kind of makes you laugh. I'm not going to lie at points. And it's clan versus clan. Overall, it's kind of a fun, just little slasher movie, and kind of in an isolated area. I do feel like characters disappear, though. Like there's five in the band, but I can't register what happened to two of them. Did they leave beforehand? Did I miss a piece of dialogue? Did they get killed off screen? I don't know. It has a high body count. I feel like there's 17, 18 people that get killed in this movie. That's quite the high number, to be honest. So, like I said, there's people taking you know casualties on both sides here. But it is a little tragic because they really just don't want to hurt anyone. But once the killing starts and you know one of them does, it, it's kind of like catalyst for all this kind of insanity. But uh, there's some, like I said, there's a couple gnarly deaths in here, um, uh, and there's a lot of them too. Uh, not all of them are great, but there's a couple real gnarly ones. I would recommend checking this one out. It is kind of fun. It is entertaining, and there's a lot worse slasher movies that you've seen. This one is cool, and uh, it's not a bad '85 movie at all. Entertaining. I wish Vinegar Syndrome or somebody would get a hold of this and put it in a widescreen because it, the, this DVD looks like crap and all the prints I've seen of it look like crap. I think this in a nice widescreen would probably bump it up a little bit and uh, you could see what the hell was going on a little bit more. I'd like to hear more about the making of this one, more story behind the scenes and everything like that. Um, you know, I, I am interested in this movie and I wish there was more on it. That is Blood Tracks. <laughs>
We're here to shoot one scene for a rock video that's going to be published with Solid Gold's next album. A young and beautiful rock group on location. Then the terror struck. I'm not receiving you. Please hear it. Trapped by a family of maniacs. <laughs> the fire will burn to the final attack. <laughs> Never-ending terror. What the hell's happening here? I don't know. I think everybody else is dead. <coughs> this is a nightmare. Listen to me, pal. There's animals down there in the factory. Now, I don't know how many of them there are. I read you, John. Listen, I want you up here now with guns. <coughs> but please stop this. End this killer. Who are you? What's going on? Why are you doing this? Who are these maniacs? I'm sorry. Why? Naomi Kaneda, Michael Fitzpatrick. Just get us the hell out of here! And Jeff Harding, Blood Tracks. Okay, The Last Dive into 1985. I did. There is a bunch of budget DVDs, but what's the point? We have Wes Craven's Chiller, the TV movie starring Michael Beck and Paul Servino, who also is in the stuff this year. So uh, Michael Beck, you know, from The Warriors. I think he's the main guy in The Warriors, to be honest. I, I believe so. Okay, uh, this movie has gotten so much hate over the years. They're like, this is Wes Craven's worst movie, worst movie. And it's a TV movie. It's 1985. It's an hour and a half, an hour and 35 minutes or so. So I put this in. And I was like, there's not really anything so terrible about this movie, except it's dull. It's a dull TV movie. It's fairly well made. It's not poorly made. It's not like the worst movie you've ever seen, okay? Don't believe that kind of stuff. But it is a dull TV movie, okay? The plot is essentially um, a, cry a cryogenics horror movie, similar to the 1989 movie The Chilling, which, dare I say, is more entertaining than this one. Uh... We have uh, uh, kind of at the cryogenic center, which is basically you freeze people that you don't have any medical cures for them, and hopefully you can wake them up when you have the cure and revive them. Most people think it's bullshit. Walt Disney, supposedly, uh, the long kind of joke is that he's on ice. Okay, so essentially one of the cryogenic uh, uh, facilities or the tubes breaks down. They rush the guy to the hospital because it's been 10 years, and they say we have no choice but to try to save him now. So they do it. It's Michael Beck. His mother is concerned. Her preacher is also concerned, Paul, played by Paul Servino. They end up bringing him back to life. And uh, he basically, Jill Schoen's also in this, which is nice. He actually goes back to his rich house, and uh, he's going to inherit you know, the company that his father ran and run the company. So um, they don't really go into detail how his, the father was killed, but I assume it was maybe a car accident with the son. I'm not 100% sure, but of course Michael Beck comes back, and like the monkey's paw or like Pet Cemetery, it's not going to be the same. He's not going to be the same, okay? Um, and you kind of get the idea that his body and mind have returned, 
but not his soul. His soul is gone. So, uh, you know, he's an asshole. He's a horrible asshole, and he starts to do really mean-spirited things. He becomes, you know, abusive to everyone around him. His uh, kind of like stepsister, somebody that works for him, an old kind of geezer boss, the the preacher, and his mother refuses to believe it. You know, that's kind of the whole plot of the movie until it all kind of, you know, goes to a climax and, and whatnot. Um, it takes 40 minutes for anything horror to happen. Before that, it's really just a cryogenics area and everything like that, and that's kind of the real detriment to the movie. There's 40 minutes of nothing or dialogue, or kind of dull character development. There's not much for the first 40 minutes. It is a TV movie, I understand. But after that, it's kind of okay. There's not like a high, elaborate kill count. It's not overly gory. Um, but the idea that someone comes back and they're not who they um, should be is is an old kind of horror trope, and it, it works. Uh, the idea that he is frozen and he has to constantly stay warm and drink cognac is also kind of fun. Michael Beck's decent. He kind of chooses scenery a little bit, but not too much. It would have been <laughs> He could have went more over the top. But he looks creepy because they make him look all pale and everything like that. Paul Servino's decent. He's solid. The mother's actually really solid as well. Jill Sholin doesn't have much to do, but she does okay. Um, of course, they open it up with the dog not trusting him. It's very cliche, but it's not absolutely horrible bottom-of-the-barrel stuff. It's subpar, but it, it, it is what it is. You know, it's a dull TV movie. The ending's okay. I can't really recommend it, but I can't say it's the worst thing ever. It's not the worst movie I've seen from 1985, most certainly. I'm glad I did get to see it finally because it was on my watch list. You know, I'm trying to watch all the director's big... Uh, all the big directors' movies. Um, that was Craven's finest hour, um, but not his worst either, I don't think. Um, so, you know, it's like, it's okay. That's uh, chiller. Uh, it is it is what it is. 1985 TV movie. Kind of dull, but okay. Better than you think, but still not good. He's been resting in a cryonic deep freeze for 10 years. Oh, my God. But a mistake turned miracle brought him back to life. They're going to give my son back to me. He's alive. Pleasure doesn't have to be cold-blooded. Yet something human is missing. That's how I like it. A tale of terror. Chiller. Wednesday. Hammer time. For all who are willing to pay the price, we invite you to go through the mirror of life. Hey guys, what's up? We're here for Hammer Time. And we're doing a double feature this time around because these ones, uh, normally I was going to try to squeeze in the anniversary at some time with Hands of the Ripper next week. But I decided to do these two together, Twins of Evil and Hands of the Ripper, because they actually were shown as a double feature. And I think that would be fun to do. So next week will be the anniversary, which is actually one we're squeezing in, so it's not in chronological order. So let's start this off with Twins of Evil, the final installment in the Cardestine trilogy. This is the fastest trilogy that Hammer's had that started and ended pretty mm -hmm. quick. Within, what, a couple years? Maybe like two years? They started in 1970 and then it ended in by 71, 72? 
Probably, yeah, because... Um, they said that they made like 11 movies in 71 or something like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot... I mean, we only did this one a few weeks ago, or yeah, the, the, the other two, one, yeah. with um, Ingrid Pitt. Yeah. So, um, The Twins of Evil stars Peter Cushing, which is really nice, and it's directed mm-hmm. by John Hugh, or Howe, however he says his name, and he directed the 1980s movie The Incubus. So it's kind of crazy to see a different director like that tackle it. I mean, I, I suppose he was a TV director, but um, yeah, uh, The Twins of Evil follows a story. It takes place in what, like... Um, well, I think puritanical times, maybe probably puritanical. Like, I feel like this is almost a prequel to yeah. the other ones that we saw, just yeah. just the time period because it, okay. it definitely looks like sixteen seventies. Uh, so something. this starts off with uh, two twins who are actually played by playmates, I believe. Um, twins mm-hmm. who are uh, have to live with their aunt and uncle. Uh, after their parents died. So they move in, and right away they realize that their uncle is like this crazy witch hunter, played by Peter Cushing, in one of his crazier roles, to be honest. Really complex role for him. Possibly his most fantastic. He's he's tremendous in it. Mm -hmm. And he gets to follow that long lineage of, you know, cool actors playing witch hunters like Herbert Lom and Mark of the Devil and Vincent Price and Witchfinder General. So yeah, we get, um, Peter Cushing gets to play one of these. I'd seen this movie years ago and I didn't remember how I, I felt about it. I remember kind of liking it. So rewatching this one, it's definitely going to play with the twins and stuff like that. And the switching the twins. And mm-hmm. it actually has some really nice mirror gags. It still follows the Karstein trilogy kind of rules where the witches can go out in the day. I mean, the vampires can go out in the daylight so basically, almost immediately, there's this Count Karstein, and he's a piece of shit that lives in a castle, of course, and he's obsessed with, you know, satanic objects and occult objects. And right away, I thought he might be a vampire, but that's mm-hmm. not the case. Right, right. He's he, actually, like, worshipping his ancestors, like, how come you guys have this power and I don't? And then, after a sacrifice, Carmilla rises from the grave. Or like, Carla, or whatever they call her. I can't remember her name. <laughs> and gives him the power of a vampire. So, mm-hmm. like, we feel like this one possibly is a prequel to um, Vampire Lovers, right? But I need to look at the dates and times, because this takes place when they were still burning witches and everything. Yeah. And Eastern Europe someplace again. Yeah, yeah. Again, this is more like, like German countryside. So, it, it's hard for me, because I don't know... Yeah when certain, like, movements happened in different parts of Europe. But, you know, when I look at, like, the puritanical, like, pilgrim-style clothing, I think, you know, 1600s, like, mid-1600s. And Karstein, um, and uh, Carmilla's tombstone says 1537. Right, right. And so she's been dead for maybe a century. Yeah. Um, and when, when we were watching the first two it really felt more late 1700s early 1800s so maybe it's got to be kind of a prequel right Um, and on top of that he's still living in the karstein castle where in the other ones it was abandoned or then burned down too and burned down so it's gotta be yeah so uh i don't know it's kind of a really interesting trilogy that it doesn't necessarily follow really in order but it does some Mm -hmm. cool things uh the the lead guy the car i mean the lead karstein guy um he looks like weird v- Lee Van Cleef to me. Like, wimpy v- Lee Van Cleef. I don't know. You know who yeah, I don't is. know who Lee but, Van uh, Cleef is. But he uh, looks really cool. Peter Cushing steals the show. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is twins, and they do have, you know, a little bit of nudity here and there. And even shows a pubic hair, which is kind of probably an accident. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? They didn't think anybody would catch it. But um, it's not as uh, sleazy, I don't think, as Lost of the Empire. No, I don't I, uh, don't I mean, not so. Lost. Um, Vampire Lovers. Vampire Lovers. Yeah, they yeah. got less sleazy as they went on. 
But I do think it's pretty effective. I like that the group of witch finders or whatever are like constantly, you know, at like war with the uh, town science guy, which is a very common thing going on. The town like uh, music teacher, is it? He's a music teacher. He's actually played by David Warbeck from, you know, the Beyond um, and uh, Black Cat and Ratman and... Pervella, I think he's actually in. So it's got a nice little cast in there. Yeah, um, the butler and the inspector from the prior two Cursing Trilogy, he's in this, and he's Cushing's kind of like right-hand man. and Second in charge. Second in charge, and you know, he's all, I want to burn everything. And he's just really intense and fun. And I don't know if we'll see him again in any more, but I just really liked seeing him in all three of these. There's a great parallel, I guess you'd say, um, to Peter Cushing's character and Karstein, because... They both kill innocent people and for kind of power in a, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but Cushing's an interesting character to the fact that he starts to doubt his own beliefs at a certain time when it when it starts to affect obviously his um, nieces. And that's kind of interesting, and I like how they handle that. And, and Cushing does it really well. I think his wife had just died right before mm-hmm. this one, so like it doesn't seem like. From understanding, you would think he wouldn't want to do this, but it, you get a weird kind of almost, what, what's the word I'm looking for, um, nuanced performance by Peter Cushing. Like, Yeah, you, you know, he's really bombastic, and he really kind of like goes from like really subdued to really outraged yeah. very quickly. And it's just really, it, it's just like a really strong, powerful performance. And I don't know if maybe it's the character type, because I don't think we've seen him really play... This kind of like a villain. We've seen him play villains. We've Dr. seen him play villains, Doctor Frankenstein. But Frankenstein was more like a sarcastic. Douchey, and, yeah, 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 you know this a rich boy. Yeah, this guy is just he, he's a valet. Yeah, and yeah. he's fantastic, and he delivers every line of just, just it, it's just so nice. The plot goes by very quick in this one too. It happens quick. It happens mm-hmm. fast, and then you look at the time, and it's almost over. Yeah, I really like this one. Like I said, it, it's a very common theme where we have the scientific kind of guy who's not a man of God; he's a man of science, and David Warbeck. But mm-hmm. he must face um, the evil, superstitious stuff and actually believe in some of it. But it's it's great in this movie. It has that deal like a lot of Eurohor will do. Was like, is it religion garbage? Like Alicarda. Right. But then you're like, wait a minute, they're right though. There are vampires, so. The, the religious guys were right, but they're still assholes? Right, <laughs> right. Um, you know, you know, in Karstein, you know, he has the protection of the emperor, so yes. that's why they um, are afraid. To, they're, they're, they're afraid to do They're willing to burn it. little girls they find in the middle of the woods who are unwilling to take a husband alive, right. but they're not willing to touch the Count, who openly procla- proclaims he's a Satanist. So, like, <laughs> um, that's I, just how, that's how politics are, too, right? right? Yeah. Like, yeah, he has so power, you know. we can't touch him, but we can, you know, take out this bum right. that nobody likes. If you like, um, you know, for the whole duration of the movie, Cushing's going around burning these people, thinking that they're witches or vampires or what have you, and and the music teacher's like, you can't burn them, burn them, just passes their soul on Which to happens else. in the Karstein movies earlier. Y- yeah, well, in the earlier movies, they kill them all by burning yeah, so, but they don't die. I guess they, they, they don't explain die. they don't die. Remember that they explain in the last one, lust for the vampire that by burning him it doesn't, but they do end up staking Carmilla. Both movies she gets. But where, the Countess and and the other guy they get away. They get oh, burned they alive. Oh, they get away. Oh, yeah. Okay, I don't know. Maybe there's more. There could be one making. We're making one right now. The fourth in the Karstein films. Are they? No, oh. of course not. No, Hammer Revived would never make a cool movie. I'm I shouldn't say that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I haven't watched any of their new stuff, but I'm more interested in them reviving this kind of fun shit right. than, than their you know classy ghost stories. And I, I do like, um, this, this is really stupid, but I like the vampire teeth in this one. They they look like actual like yeah. proper teeth as opposed to just being like, 
like prosthetic, <laughs> like you know, but like they actually look legit and. I don't know. I just thought it was a really cool effect whenever they showed the. They do some really fun mirror gags, Mm -hmm. like where, like right after you're, like they're standing in front of the mirror, they get bit, and then like you watch them fade away in the mirror Mm -hmm. and stuff. I really like that. There there is one scene where, um, you know, to to do do the mirror gag, it's it's like they built like a hole in the wall and they put like objects on both sides of the hole, so it looks like she's looking in the mirror without a reflection. And in it, they have two candles. You know, one's the real candle, one's the reflect reflected candle but the flames aren't synchronized <laughs> and i just noticed it right away but i mean it was a cool effect that like the fact that they took the time to do that is you know really the, cool the twins are fine in here i think they act decently warbeck's mm-hmm. good because warbeck likes one of the twins one of the more evil ones and the mother the actual one who's married to cushing is a cool character too because she actually stands up to him at one point right but at first you want to just stab cushing in his fucking throat Hey, Cushing's a terrible person. But he's great. He's a great... He has an arc, and mm-hmm. uh, there's a couple gory bits in here. One of the heads... Because uh, the only way to get rid of vampire steak and behead. So there's a beheading, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's the first time I realized the first African-American character in a Hammer whore. Was he really? I can't think if there was any before. Which is kind of a shame, but... I just find it kind of strange that there yeah. hasn't been. Has there been? Usually it's no. just white guys playing foreigners dressed in like makeup, yeah, like Egyptians, like Michael Ripper, like, ah, like, that's not an Egyptian guy. I guess, you know, he, he is a named character, but he's also like a mute. Um, yeah, so... and they, he does the one thing where he has to explain what's going on at one point. Right. <laughs> and the way that happens to him is like, no, you stay here. Right. <laughs> it's like. I feel like there must have been another one, but maybe not. Wasn't there a witch one? Oh, there place? was Plague of the Zombies. Plague of the Zombies. Oh, the witches opened up with the voodoo stuff. The voodoo stuff. I, I can't But remember. it really does seem like a lot of the uh, African-American characters are just stereotypical kind of, you know. They're they're very... I guess like, they're of their time. Maybe I guess they're even of their time. Probably like, dated for that time. Yes. But it is Britain, too. Yeah, so it's it's hard to say. I mean, when you're looking at, you it know... Just, it just struck me, you know. I was like, man, I really haven't seen any characters that had any, you know, substantial time, play here. Yeah, I'm trying to think of some of like, the more contemporary ones, and I still don't witches, think Witches, at any... the beginning, does, I think. Which <coughs> I confused it with Plague of the Zombies for a second. Right. Um, um, you know, I really like this one. I, I, I like this one. This one was really fun. It's probably not my favorite. Of the card? No, I, I think they go in order. Oh, I, no, 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 no. Of the card scene... It's probably my favorite, even though I really liked Ingrid Pitt. I think Vampire Lovers might be the best one. I think of the vampire movies we've watched, I really like this one. And I think it's because Cushion plays a witch hunter, and I played a witch hunter in D&D, and so that just really spoke to me. (laughs) I think think Lust for the Vampire might be the weakest of the three, though, actually. It goes vampire. I don't They're all really cool, though. See, I don't even remember the middle one now. Oh, that was the one with Cushing Lee. Yeah, <laughs> Lee. Uh, what was his name? Max Raven or something? Yeah, yeah. Who was pretending to be Lee? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, I give it. I'm, I'm probably going to give it an eight out of ten. I liked it, or a seven and a half out of ten, somewhere around there. But we're going to read out of um, John Stanley's Creature Features. It is in here. Twins of Evil, 1971, three out of five stars. Predictably plot plotted sequel to Hammer's Vampire Lovers and Lust for a Vampire, dealing with the Karstein family and its vampire curse. Peter Cushing as a witch hunter of the 19th century is seeking to help two infected 19-year-old beauties, Mary and Madeline Collison. Although beauties who are seen in altogether in several shots, Tudor Gates... Oh, that's such a weird line. Mary and Madeline Colston. Altogether beauties, okay, who are seen in all altogether in several shots, okay. Tudor Gate script is heavy with heavy bosoms, or bo- I always have problems saying bos- bo- bosoms. 
Bosom. Bosoms. Every, I don't know why. It's a weird word. Um, and unsubtle hints of lesbian love biting. Directed by John Hugh, Dennis Price, um, Isabel Black, you know, yada, yada, yada. Okay, Gemini Twins, Virgin Vampires, and Twins of Dracula. Mid-America. So interesting. So they say 19th century, and I, I would not have pegged this to be 19th century. I just don't imagine... Really? See, no, I don't see... Imag- well, that's what your book yeah, said. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So, um, I just don't... Imagine there being witch burning in eighteen something. And, and um, what did the crucible take place? That was That's kind like of a 16. freak. Yeah, but that was even a freak accident for them. That was too late. Yeah, kind of. Um, I don't think it is. I think it's wrong. I think because wrong. even in the uh, special features, they bring up, um, they start talking about it, and they say that there's a good chance this could have been a prequel to the Vampire Lovers. Remember that? They said, well, yeah. what if that just, you know, turned into Ingrid Pitt and she got up and walked and carried down the rest of it? Then it feels like it was supposed to be kind of. Right, yeah. I mean, you know, who, they weren't paying attention when they made these movies. They just made them. I mean, maybe the guy had a hard time recalling a lot of this stuff. Right. I mean, I would. I just did. Okay, so. The book the, is James O'Neill's Tear on Tape. Yeah, Tear on I guess gotta hold it up. The cover's peeling. It's all Got, um, I got a lot of use out of it. Yeah, so um, I'm going to give this one four and a half. Ooh, out five. of five? Okay. Yeah, but when I give my rating, I'm not comparing it to the other ratings of the movies I've seen so far. So when I make my top whatever list, don't be surprised if movies I rated lower are higher because I don't remember what I said and I won't look it up. Bones. Okay, Twins of Evil, uh, Bid America 1971. Gotta give the stars. Three stars. Out of four. Out of four. That's... I'm not going to read all these names. Okay, it's got Peter okay. Cushing. It's got Peter Cushing, a bunch of other people. He already said them. Dennis Price, Damien Thomas, okay, we David got it. War- Okay. <clears throat> the third and final entry in Hammer's Karnstein trilogy is one of the company's most entertaining 70s films. Cushing is a steely witch hunter whose gorgeous twin nieces, the Collinsons, Playboy's first twin playmates... Become involved with a descendant of a vampirist, Mercola Karnstein. Lush production, strong direction, and a spirited cast, Thomas is outstanding as the flamboyant Count Karnstein, help make this a must for Hammer enthusiasts. This video print is taken from the original Brit theatrical version and contains additional gore and nudity trimmed from the U.S. release prints, a.k.a. Vampire Virgins and Twins of Dracula. Um... So he's probably talking about the VHS yeah, that yeah, he watched. He so I don't know if ours is cut or trend. Ours is, ours is uncut. I mean, there is like a gruesome beheading. So no, ours is uncut because a Screen Factory, everyone would complain if it wasn't. We watch a, we watch a Synapse release. Well, I didn't complain. Yeah, well, we watch a Synapse Twins of Evil. That's yes. how it is. People would complain. So I'm good on this one. I Okay, okay. We're going to do another one. Don't be taking my book. All right. Okay, um, I would recommend this one. Mm-hmm. Uh one of the better vampire movies and it was been it, what was the last one did we just do blood from the mummy's tomb last week or was that one that was yeah we did Ugh. blood of the mummy's yeah. tomb so it was nice to see this one i highly enjoyed it and, yeah and i had seen this one before so recommended let's hop into the other one okay let's go oh god have mercy on this poor unfortunate creature in old gothic europe they had two burning passions witch hunting and devil worship. Practice the black arts. They worship the devil. They're all slaves to Count Karnstein, and he is their evil master. Do you know what I want more than anything else? To meet Count Karnstein. 
They look alike. They dress alike. Two identical beauties. But one of them has the very devil in her. For you, all pleasures should be supreme. These are the men they call the Brotherhood. Seek out the devil worshippers by burning them! And this is the sister who is about to enter the devilhood. Look, what do you see? <gasps> we are the undead. Immortal. The devil has sent me twins of evil. Be Maria now, unsuspected, good and kind. Think of the havoc you can cause. I thought it was your sister that I loved, but now I know. Maria. Twins of evil. Okay, the second half of this double feature was actually played with it, and I guess they were doing a lot of double features at the time. This is Hands of the Ripper, directed by, I believe, Peter Sazdy, who did Taste the Blood of Dracula, which is probably one of my favorite of the Dracula um, series. So Hands of the Ripper, I was kind of excited to see a Jack the Ripper story from Hammer. I didn't know much about it, but it's kind of a weird Jack the Ripper. It's not Jack the Ripper. It's not Jack the Ripper. It's the Hands of Jack the Ripper, which makes sense because it's Hands of the Ripper. How many people went and saw this? Like, I can't wait to watch a good Ripper picture. And then they get there like, wait a minute, this is not the Ripper. That's the Hands of the Ripper. But that's what it's called, mate. <laughs> doesn't have Michael Ripper in it. <laughs> Michael Ripper's not in this. <laughs> I wish he was in it. But okay, um, now that we're done insulting all our British, and I said mate in there once, which sounded like an Australian guy, insulting everyone. Okay, um, The Hands of the Ripper follows the story of an asshole doctor, you know, who puts science above everything else, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, there's this poor girl who is the son of Jack the Ripper, and she witnesses... The daughter. The daughter, okay, sorry. <laughs> this poor girl who's the son. What? This, the, the daughter of Jack the Ripper witnesses her mother being killed by her father, and uh, it triggers some weird thing in her brain, like, where she sees, like, she was kissed right after or something like that regardless her psychology is all messed up she's grown up she lives in an orphanage and some weird uh you know what do they call them sham sham artist who basically makes fake occult like you know seances is using her adopted her and using her to help you know put forth this fake bullshit Mm -hmm. a doctor one day visits along with his son and some other people um, one guy is actually in, you know, politics, so he's kind of higher up. And uh, they just, you know, they do a seance, but they discover that this girl's behind the curtain doing it. And she's she's older now. She's probably like 15, 16. Yeah, maybe. So the doctor, you know, kind of knows what's going on. He goes to leave. His son leaves. He's about to get married. And uh, we witness a murder involving the politician and this girl. And mm-hmm. you realize that she is somehow possessed by her father, Jack the Ripper. 
and they're all interrelated and there's some blackmailing going on but the doctor kind of wants to study her and figure out what's going on and see if it has psycho what psycho analyst he's obsessed with freud so Mm -hmm. he puts science and studying above human life and her life and everything else and he's kind of a he's really great performance by this guy Mm -hmm. and very subtle in his movements but his facial reactions are so dead on and perfect and he's just like he does the best i'm rolling my eyes ever he's like you know, like that kind of mm-hmm. face. Like it's really good, subtle face face acting here. Oh yeah, so, he, I think he does a fantastic and, job. And the girl who plays uh, the daughter of Jack the Ripper mm-hmm. breaks my heart. She has these big blue eyes, and she's always looking like she's gonna cry. And when someone is nice to her after the cruel life she lived, it, it just makes me very sad. But even though the doctor has ulterior motives, so it makes him kind of even a bigger piece of shit. But yeah, kind of means well. I guess of, so. Maybe. Does he? No, he's grooming her. Yeah. The doctor's grooming the girl. He wants to bone her. No, he wants... There is a sexual tension between them, but he also is using her for science. And grooming. Maybe, possibly. Scientific possibly. grooming. But uh, you didn't care for this one very much, did I, you? I didn't really. Actually, I, it kind of lulled. It It started off really good. It, for me, at least. The opening scene I didn't particularly care for. And that, that, that's just, <laughs> it was so jarring because they would like show like... A five-second thing of motion, and then freeze frame, and then like you know some title bits. That's an it, editing style from them. Yeah, and it just and and I think that just kind of like rocked me a bit too much to like make me comfortable to watch the movie. As stupid as that sounds, that stuff bothers me. Um, the the actual opening seance was really good, um, and there's some good parts, but then it just kind of it fizzled out because I feel like. You already knew what was going on. Like, that, there yeah. was no question about... There was no mystery. There's no mystery. Um, and, the, and then I was just kind of confused by, like, the motivations of the actual Doctor. Like, ah. Well, it definitely has that weird thing with the Doctor and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And and he gets annoying because he's putting other people's life at risk. And there's one point where he, you, he like, uh, confronts the politician who is actually going to pay the girl for prostitution. Mm-hmm. So you hate him. You think he's a scummy piece of shit. But then the politician actually kind of pulls a 180, and you're like, right. oh, this guy is terrible. But he actually has the society more in his conscience than the Doctor. Right. And at that point, like, there's a there's a funny thing where the guy who's being blackmailed turns around and blackmails him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I started laughing. I was like, you can't blackmail me. I'm blackmailing you. <laughs> it, 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 you know, it was just so, like, because, like, the, um, the Ripper's daughter, I forget her name. Anna? Is it Anna? It might be Anna. I think it's Anna. But she's, she's really, like, has this great innocent look about her. And the girl who played her really young, they look identical. Right. I mean, if it weren't for her and the doctor's performance, I think this movie is much weaker. Oh, definitely. Um, I think it's terrible, actually. But, you know, so she doesn't kill just, like, random people on the street. She she does it at one point. But she keeps on killing the doctor's help. And, like, the doctor just, he's like, he's like, oh, I have a great housemaid and great cook. And, he, and like, she, that's, like, her first kill. Like, the doctor brings her to her house and she literally kills, like, the head maid. Like, I generally felt bad for the victims in this movie. Yeah. So it was, it's, again, like, a lot of them are prostitutes or just mm-hmm. helpers. And none of them really deserve it. And they keep holding this over your head because the uh, son is going to marry a blind woman. And she's mm-hmm. so sweet and nice. And she's already blind in that time. I mean, you feel bad for her. And they keep, like, holding it over there. It's like, she going to be murdered? She going to be murdered? And that kind of, like, cultivates to the very ending. Like, and it finally, like, I mean goes right to that moment right and i don't know i i enjoy the acting but Mm -hmm. um 
I think that it loses its steam. And it's a short movie, but it feels much longer than it should. Yeah. And there's characters like that politician that really don't have, like, a resolution at all. Yeah, he doesn't have a resolution. The Doctor's motivations are flimsy at best. And I, I don't know if he really learns his lesson. Like, is his lesson like, oh, I should trust, like, the seances? Because, like, everybody was right yeah. about it. Even though um, it was all bullshit. Yeah, I guess it was all bullshit. Well, the one that the politician referred him to... Yeah, she was right. She was pretty much dead on. Like, like she looked at her, she was like, Oh, no, she's possessed. She's possessed by Jack the Ripper. You should probably take her to the authorities, Nonsense. mate. It's like, like oh, you, you know what you're talking about. Oh, she is possessed. It's like... It, <laughs> that, ain't, that ain't shit. It is shit. <laughs> but, uh... That, that's kind of, a lot of times, though, in the Hammer movies, what was the one, um, the third, the mummy, the mummy shroud, that guy's like, well, I guess you guys are probably right, there probably is a mummy, like, he came around eventually, <laughs> right. and I love that, but this one, he doesn't come around, but then again, mm. it's his own blindness that gets him killed, I'm sorry, spoiler. Oh, uh, yeah. You kind of figured. It, like I said, there's no real twist or turns in this. You kind of expect what's going to happen. And it is a tragic, sad ending to the yeah. movie. And I do think it's decent. I think it's, um, I don't want to say it's shot particularly well, because there's some really goofy stuff at the end with the, um, it's a nice place to have the ending, but it's uh, the way they do it. It's on a budget, and it shows. That didn't bother me. I was talking about when they're in the dome. Yeah, and it's that just didn't like bother a, it's a so matte much. painting, but it doesn't look very good. It's like still photography. Yeah. It, does, it doesn't look good for the time, I don't think, either. The, the dome didn't bother me. There are instances where they show the exterior of a building and they zoom in on it and it's clearly a photograph. Because then, <laughs> like, they even, like, brush the dust off the photograph because as it zooms in, you just see these squiggles everywhere. It's like, come on, guys. Uh. <laughs> um, I thought the dome was neat. It was okay. It didn't bother me at all. I like the scene in the dome. Yeah. Um, this movie had like great scenes, like great piece, like set pieces in it. I they just, I don't know. I like. I guess without the character like growing or really doesn't have an arc. I mean, he, the funny thing is, the best actor in the movie is also the most unlikable character in the film, right? And it's the doctor. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I. I I do like it, though. I do like this one. I know you're not too big a fan of it. It just loses its steam in the middle part because it, it becomes repetitive. And the idea yeah. that possession by Jack the Ripper is kind of different. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I, if it, Like I said, if it weren't for... There is a, a nice connection story between the girl and um, the doctor. But it's also kind of perverse, too. What do you mean, the connection? Well, like I said, he has a likeness. They like each other to oh, a certain extent, yeah. like a father-daughter thing, but it feels perverse at the same time. Because what triggers the girl is, like, it has to be a mirror and a kiss. Right. And after that's set forth, the first time it happens, it keeps happening and happening, and she must kill because Jack the Ripper's invading her. And they start mm-hmm. to do, like, more psychology where Jack the Ripper's talking to her later on, and that mm-hmm. sucks. Yeah. yeah, I thought that, that was, was stupid. stupid. Um, the... Like, like, yeah, because it's like, if she looks at something shiny, that's when she goes into a trance, and then, like, if you kiss her, that's when she kills, and... Th- it's like, um, uh, Naked Gun, where, like, he if he hears that word of dialogue, he's just, like, mm-hmm. programmed to kill, so it's like that. Like a sleeper agent? Yeah, sleeper agent. Uh, um, but I, I don't know, it, like, it was okay, just... Man, it, it just... Cre- the doctor really creeped me out, and, and even... When they're interacting, she keeps on calling him like Doctor or Mister, whatever his last Mr. name Dr. is. Doctor John. Um, she calls him Doctor John. Not at first. She calls him by his last name, and he's like, "Like, and I want you to love me. Just call me John." She's like, "You know, she doesn't want the relationship." So she's like, "Okay, I'll call you Doctor John." Like she she meets him halfway, and then he hypnotizes her and kisses her. Really? Okay. 
that's what we're it's doing. Reverse, but that's kind of the deal. I'm gonna give this a six and a half out of ten. I'm gonna give this a three out of five. That's a six. That's um, a six. I'm gonna yes. Yeah, <laughs> Hands of the Ripper, uh, creature features. Um, we have three out of five. Offbeat Hammer Thriller, directed by Peter Sazdy, um, with uh, her name is crazy. And Gorod Rees as the daughter of Jolly Jack the Ripper. The L.W. Davidson script emphasizes psychological effects as Rees is obsessed with memories of gory murders and possessed by the spirit of not-so-dear old dad. Now she must carry out his unholy cravings and carvings. Eric Porter portrays the head shrinker helping her. Ripping good. Vid America again. Oh. Okay. Okay. Do I have to hold up the book? Terror on tape. James O'Neill. A complete guy. Door. We don't need to read this. Oh, hands the Ripper, three out of five stars. Four. Three out of four stars. My, my mistake. Yeah. 1971, R82 Minutes, directed by Peter Sazdy, Eric Porter, Agarad Reese. See, I told you. Weird name. Reese. Agarad Reese. Got the first name right. <laughs> I think that was the hard part. This is definitely the hard part. Jane, I got the last name right. <laughs> Jane Marrow, Keith Bell, Dora Bryan, and Derek Godfrey. God bless his soul. All right. You don't know who that guy is. No, I not not a clue. I don't even know who he is in the movie. Yeah. Um, probably the son. Probably. One of Sazdy's best films, the polished period slasher, features the excellent Porter as an early follower of Freud who attempts to help the pretty teen daughter of Jack the Ripper. She is being driven by her father's spirit to commit a rash of brutal murders. The killings themselves are still quite violent, even by today's standards. A maid has her throat slashed by a shard of a broken mirror. And a prostitute gets some hat pins driven through her hand and eye. And there's a strong background atmosphere of an Edwardian London populated by sharp-tongued tarts, dirty street urchins, and crooked government officials. Though not that crooked. First released in the U.S. in a cut version on a twin hall, or twin bill with Twins of Evil, the video is one, or this video is of a full Brit print. Oh, I hate the way he writes. Brit print. They both do that. Um... I forgot to mention how brutal the murders actually are. Yeah, the they're really abrasive, are. and they're edited kind of like in a, in a weird, jarring way where it makes mm -hmm. you kind of like sick. Like she just turned around and boom, the knife. It was so quick and so like you couldn't stop it. Um, mm -hmm. And the hat pins are really gross too. Like you, you generally feel bad for the victims. Like even if the one prostitute's really weird, like I'm come back, I'm Long Sally, come back to the. You're like, what is she doing? Um, is she like? I think there was definitely some. She was like, like trying. To, yeah, she was trying to pick her up. Yeah, this movie should just be called, like, Grooming the Ripper. Because everybody just wants to... Want some of that Ripper. They want to rip that Ripper. Uh, <laughs> without Michael Ripper. Next week is the anniversary. <laughs> um, <laughs> I still like it. I would recommend it. I think it's kind of unique. I, I definitely would maybe want to revisit it down the line and see how, how I still feel. Yeah, it... Like, you should probably watch it. I know I'm, I'm being kind of harsh, but that's just because I'm a petty person. And you should never take what I say, like, seriously, ever. But, um, it's worth the watch. I just, it, it just didn't do it for me. And, honestly, if you're going to watch a movie, watch the Dr. Jekyll's Sister Hyde. Yeah. I think that was a better one. Or any of the Frankensteins, or a lot of the Frankensteins could fill in for a Ripper movie. Or just Doctor Doctor and the Devils, which is the Burke and Hare story. Which that was isn't a good a one. Movie, but that's a really good movie. Yeah, I mean, the Ripper is... All that, all Neat. that kind of you know England shitty city, body snatcher stuff, or yeah. ripping apart organs. They all kind of like I said, they kind of all bleed together and put paint a picture of like 
London horror for me. Oh yeah, if if, if you're looking at like nineteenth century London. You got Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde. You got Burke and Hare, which are earlier. You got you, Frankenstein. Frankenstein. You got you got Jack, Jack the Ripper. Ripper Doctor Jekyll. You know. Doctor Jekyll. They all just kind of mesh, and and they're all kind of the same story. It's like we've figured out science. Sort of. Science and, has gone too far. We better kill people to find out more about science. Well, you got to have <laughs> Jack the Ripper is a little bit different, but Jack the a lot different. of people do think he was a scientist of some sort or a or doctor. Butcher. Or, or there's everything. Somebody probably thought he was a space alien. They're like, he's actually H.H. Holmes. He's like, shut up. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. Get out of here. Move on past. Past this. <laughs> right. Past this. Stop these dumb things. It's a squatch. He actually was responsible for 9-11. Right. It's like, <laughs> All right. We're, we're going <laughs> to Ripper next. can't melt steel beans. <laughs> the Jack the Ripper had the game. <laughs> All right. We're next. All we're right. done. We're done. Over. Bye. I'm never doing this again. <laughs> Between the 2nd of April, 1888, and September the 17th, 1889, a dreadful fear descended over the streets of London. No one who saw that face lived, except one small child whom he spared, because she was his own flesh and blood. There was another murder. They're looking for Jack the Ripper. It's you. Records tell us that the Ripper killed nine times. Mrs. Golding? Now Hammer reveal how the curse lived on into a second generation of terror. Whoever impaled that unfortunate woman on this poker possessed immense physical strength. Anna is upstairs at this moment. She's what? Oh, Miss Anna, you're going to look lovely tonight. Damn it, Pritchard, you've got to possess being in your home as savage as any wild beast. violence in this girl. I felt it there. Something quite sudden. It's still there now. Something horribly violent. These are the streets. And these are the women. And this is the girl who inherited the hands that Jack used. Okay, let's get into these questions. Okay, Andrew DMB. Uh, hey, Dave, just had a thought. Couldn't help notice the massive number of films Nick Cage is in. He's literally in at least two films released monthly. I'm pretty sure, hell, eventually reached the most films an actor plays in being the main headline feature. And let's say, and I'm just estimating, I'm going to go low scale and say give him one million a film and two films a month. That's 24 million a year and that's lowballing it. I'm not an expert on actor contracts or anything, but damn, you can't but no, help but notice this. I mean, they're mostly straight-to-video films, but he's cranking them out, seems almost every other week. And I'm seeing articles saying he has money issues. How can this possibly be? He's the busiest actor working in the business. I mean, he's far from making anything Oscar-worthy, but he's also not making the absolute worst films as of late. For example, Mandy, The Color of Space, Grand Isle, Mom and Dad, Joe, Kick-Ass, and a few other popular titles. I'm probably forgetting, but these films sell, and if he's getting royalties and a piece of merchandising, then you could add a few million more to that. Hello. I don't know. It's an unusual mention, but crossed my mind, and I can't be the only one to notice. So, what's your thoughts on it? I'm curious to hear if you have more intelligent take, or I'm just more delusional on this or not. Anyways, awesome content as usual, and some great pickups as well. Two thumbs up. Thanks, buddy. Um, 
I don't think he's making as much money as you think he is. I don't think he's getting a million for a movie role. You know, I don't. I think sometimes maybe it's only 10000 for a day's work or something like that. There's no way it's a million dollars. Sometimes maybe it's a million. I just don't think it's that high. And I think he probably spends like crazy, and he's probably in debt so bad that he's paying off a lot of in debt things. But I think that sometimes when he takes a role that he knows is going to be good, like Joe or something, which I hear is a very good role, he probably takes a cut on the pay. He probably only, you know, so he probably doesn't get paid a lot for the roles that he actually wants to do. So, you know, that's kind of the way it is. I just imagine he's probably not making as much money as you think he is for those movies. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's only a week's work. I, I don't know what his pay rate is or his scale or anything like that. So Nick Mua, he might just like to work. So he might take um, discounted fees, you know, what it is. Nick Mua, which decade was the best for horror? 60s, 70s, 80s, 80s further back? I kind of love the 70s and 80s. I can't really pick anything besides that. I can't pick between the 70s and 80s, you know. So it's one of those two for me. When watching the Friday 13th flicks, do you immediately catch on the ma-ma-ma background noise, or did you mishear it too? It's become quite the discussion among Friday lovers, it seems. I don't know. I never thought about it, I guess. as When I was so young, it was always there. And when you're so young, you don't really think of that. And then as you get older, people mention it, and you're like, oh, yeah, I guess it is. So, like, I, I never really understood, you know, uh, I, I guess... I was so young watching these that I didn't register it at first. And by the time I would have registered it, it had already been told to me. Would you be able to resist a sexy alien, do you think? Depends the circumstances. Is there a type of role slash character that you find very easy to play? Angry. <laughs> I don't know why. Or, or maybe goofy. I'm kind of goofy and angry, I'd say, a combination of those two things. So, you know, those come fairly natural to me. To be an asshole in movies, I guess. I, I tend to be, or a creep. always get cast as a creep. A rapist a lot. I've been cast as a rapist like three or four times. Uh, tempo, I'm not saying that's easy, but I can play an angry dick pretty easy, I think. Uh, tempo Tapas, have you seen any of the Brazilian horror Coffin Joe movies? The director, actor, just passed away, sadly. Yes, I have seen the first two Coffin Joe movies of the trilogy. Uh, I know he. Ha I have a box set here that I do need to watch eventually. Um, the one that Anchor Bay put out in the UK. It's a Coffin Joe collection. It has a bunch of movies on there. I've only seen the first two of his trilogy. I should, really should finish out the trilogy of the but Sinas put out that disc, too. So, um, R.I.P. I mean, the first two Coffin Joe movies were pretty spectacular and different and way ahead of their time. Dan the Cameraman, another great video. Dave, a few questions for you. Has there been a movie you were looking forward to so much that you convinced yourself you liked it and eventually realized you didn't? Maybe Diary of the Dead. When that came out, I was so excited to watch it. I'm like, George Romero's my favorite. He's the best. He's always been the best. He's still going to be the best. And I watched it. And me and my friends were like, that was good, right? Yeah, yeah, right when it came out. And the more I thought about it, the more people would talk about it. And I was like, ah, man. There's moments I really like, and there's some stupid, of stupid stuff. And I've rewatched it a couple of times over the years, but I'm, I've been scared to rewatch it in more recent times. So I, I don't really know what to think, to be honest. So it's probably Diary of the Dead. Um, what are your thoughts on the recent Zombie 4K announcement? Do you think that they didn't wait long enough for the last release? I don't know. I'm not 100% sure. Um, thing is, like, maybe these companies aren't making enough money. Maybe they just are on the way out. Sorry, kicked over something. And they wanted to get it out. I don't know, really have many thoughts on it. But it does get expensive, doesn't it? It, it can be. It depends what the price is. Um, I may buy it. I'm not 100% sure. I'll, I'll see reviews first. And then we have some answers. I asked, um, 
what was your least favorite 1985 horror movie. But first, I'm going to go through a couple late answers that I forgot to answer um, for what was your favorite 1985 horror movie. Jonathan Wilhelm, he says, as far as 1985, so many great releases. His favorites are Return of the Living Dead, The Day of the Dead. But his highest up on all-time favorite horror movie list is Reanimator, without a doubt. The gore, the kookiness, the insanity. Andre Scott picked Fright Night. Uh, Faith Botwin picked Return of the Living Dead. And then we have the bad movies in 1985. Horror movies. Nick Moore, uh 1985 had a few sinkers as well. Boggy Creek 2. Yuck. Pure dreck. Another follow-up to a decent first chapter. The Howling 2 your sister is a werewolf. Christopher Lee and apologized to Mr. Dante for appearing in this turd. Viper Rose 1978. Good stuff, man. Is really hard decisions as what I think is bad is actually good to me. Now that it being said, I have seen Hard Rock Zombies many times. Have it on VHS still. But it's bad. Really bad. Just a quick comment on anyone who says canon films suck. Some of the best movies have come out out of canon highly entertaining films anyone who doesn't get a kick out of paul kiersey blowing fracker out of a window uh building window with a rocket launcher death wish 3 also 85 doesn't have a pulse in my book same for toby hooper's life force extremely underrated the effects alone are enough to stand on still not sure why he gets a bad rap kind of like lloyd kaufman never gets enough respect outside of the independent community in 100 years he would probably be looked at as a genius david bryant i really enjoy friday one through seven especially parts three four five six it's part eight jason takes manhattan where it all started to get pretty lame to me if you were asking my worst horror movie of 89 and 75 this would definitely be my main contender i agree gary miller hard rock zombies dustin mills attack of the beast creatures how dare you how dare you say that about attack of the beast creatures jason Lindbergh, don't mess with my sister uh jonathan uh, knight agrees bingo gary carper my birth ao jonathan jordan bibby i'll be honest i like most films so this is really hard so i'll get Go with Twisted Illusions, even though I still like it. The uh, Tim Ritter movie. Uh, and then we have Nathan Thomas Milliner. Out of the ones I've seen, probably Ghoulies or The Mutilator. I think The Mutilator technically counts as 84, according to the Internet Movie Database. Uh, Peter Englund, um, both are sequels. Howling 2, Your Sister's Werewolf, and The Hills Have Eyes Part 2. I think A Hills Have Eyes Part 2 technically counts as 84 as well, because internet movie, if we're going by Internet Movie Database, which I do. Jason Lindbergh, like Hills 2, but man, Howling 2 is definitely one I forgot. The only one of those cheesy sequels I can sit through for fun. Uh, Blaine Harrop, there are not... There are no bad 80s horror movies. Jeff Pinel, uh, Blood Cult, Scott Shermer, Hudson Hawk. Not 1985, not a bad movie, not a horror movie. William Adcock, trick question. There were no bad horror films from 1985, but the least best is Once Bitten. Mark Humphreys, Hills of Eyes Part 2. Been about 10 years since I have seen it, but thought it was terrible, except for the dog flashback, that is. Derek Bourgeois, really, there are worse... Really? These are there these are the worst movies of the year? Question mark. I won't be saying much because I'm saving it for the eighty five show. Uh Cody Rat Murder Lust. Without a doubt in my mind the worst horror film of eighty five. I like Murder Lust. Uh Brandon Hartsey, Once Bitten, James D. Cox, hmm, Chiller maybe. Wayne Thompson, Hard Rock Zombies. Uh, Rakesh Brown, I'm on a, I'm a grown ass motherfucking man now. I ain't five no more. So ghoulies, uh, I hate ghoulies one love ghoulies two and three, but, uh, Rakesh Brown also wanted me to mention that his favorite movie this year is VFW because he was talking about how great it is. I agree. Love the hell out of it. Uh, Thomas Filano, my top three worst short films of 85 would be made for TV remake of the bad seed midnight hour and massacre in dinosaur Valley. I love the midnight hour and massacre in dinosaur Valley. It's kind of fun, man. 
Bad seed. I, I, it looks bad. Uh, Original's classic. Ned Christensen. I was going to go with Hour until I saw the boogie boys mention Bitten. They're both so stinky. Midnight Hour, Once Bitten, The Bad Seed. This was just a bad movie in general. And Dan the Cameraman. For the question of the week, this is a tough one. 1985 had tons of great films, but what I will say, this is definitely not the worst, and I actually enjoy it, but I'm not in love with The Mutilator. It's a fun slasher, but by no means one of the all-time best. But hey, if people dig it, maybe I'm just a jerk. Keep up the great work, Dave. Thank you. And, uh, geez, I forgot a good question of the week. So what I'm going to do is there's going to be a pause here and there's going to be something that pops up or I'm going to come up with it off the top of my head. Okay. Um, what is your all time favorite year for horror movies? Cause somebody asked me that and I'm curious, what do you guys think the best year for horror films of all time is? Is it 1968, 1978, 1974? What is it? 1985, 2019? Let me know. Okay. And I guess we're going to go into the update. Okay. Let's get into this update. First, we're going to start off with Terra Firmer from Troma, of course. Uh, I haven't seen this in years. I remember liking it, but uh, it's been a long time. Can't forget the escalator scene. Ooh, two disc. That's very cool. Then we have some Scream Factories. Rasputin the Mad Monk. This one I think is pretty decent, pretty cool. Uh, Chris Frilly as Rasputin is also a badass hammer whore here. So yeah. I checked this one out actually, guys. This is one of a good performance from him. And then we have X the Unknown, which is also an early Hammer movie. Very good, kind of blob-like story. Decent stuff. Like I said, not very good, but um, I, I, I guess I overhyped it there a little bit. It's decent. I like it. Not as good as Keltiki, but hey. Then we have some from the Scream Factory sale. We have Robocop 2, the Valentine's Day sale. Um, yeah, I remember liking this one fine enough. It's not part one, but hey, Tom Noonan is pretty great in it. And uh, yeah. And Peter Weller returns. I forgot who directed this one. Did Frank Miller actually direct this one? No, I, I knew he was directly involved with it, though, right? But a uh, cool movie. Or was he only involved with three? Then we have Species, the Collector's Edition. Been a long time since I watched this one. Remember the great cast in it? Remember this one being cool when it came out? I don't know if it holds up or not, but hey, why not? It's got a bunch of features on there. Then we got Time Bomb. Pretty dirt cheap, to be honest. Michael Bean. It's like six bucks. Couldn't pass that up. Did not have it. Robert Culp's in there, huh? What else do we got? Dark Man 3. Finally uh, completed my Dark Man Blu-ray collection. I love Dark Man 1. Uh, and rewatching Dark Man 2, I didn't, I didn't really like it. I never loved this one. But hey, I, I'm willing to give it another chance. Jeff Fahey's the bad guy, so hey, why not? Then we have Screamers, which I have not watched in a very long time. I remember liking this one, so uh, why not? Peter Weller again. That's two Peter Weller movies in this update. Um, cool sci-fi movie, if I remember correctly. Been a long time since I watched it. Then we have The Craft, Collector's Edition, which I actually haven't watched in super long time, but I remember this one being a cool movie, you know, of course got a lot of love recently so why not rewatch it and it was a good price i didn't want to pay like 25 but i would pay 17 for it and last but certainly not least we have man's best friend <laughs> i used to like this growing up have not revisited it nature created him science perfected him but no one can control him is the dog's name max in this one i feel like it is lance hendrickson yeah it's a howl a canine terminator 
I do remember enjoying this one. So revisiting it should be kind of a, a pleasure. But uh, yeah, we're going to hop back to the video, guys. All right, guys. I uh, hope you enjoyed that. I want to give a shout out, a uh, Patreon shout out to Brian Nielsen. I appreciate it very much. Uh, thank you. And uh, we're out of here. All right, guys. Thank you very much for watching. And as always, you guys have a good one. Mm.